peanut butter apple sauce. That's that was the highest note I've ever hit in my life. Peanut butter apple sauce. Testing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hey, what's up, everyone? Okay, so another episode of Alaska DIY. This is a super, super duper fun one. I think you're going to really get a kick out of it. This is the first episode we actually talk about Alaska. But hey, okay, just to preface this, Alaska DIY is named Alaska DIY because I couldn't think of anything else catchier or better. So, but the tagline that I've been playing with, well, I have a few. I don't, I need help with this. I could use some help. The tagline that I was thinking about is this one. Hunting and adventuring in Alaska and beyond. It's kind of ridiculous, I know. But anyway, the idea is I'm in Alaska. I guide in Alaska. A lot of people want to come to Alaska, so that's where I'm starting. I'm not going to stop there, folks. So this is like newsflash. I'm not stopping in Alaska. I got bigger plans. This time next year, I've got a trip to New Zealand planned. I'm going there to hunt free-range tar and chamois. Is it chamois or chamois? 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 Chamois. I've got plans for other destinations. A lot of stuff coming in the future. But anyway, for now, it's called Alaska. We better get some Alaska content out there. So this guy, Scott Luber, super cool dude. I met him last year at the BHA Rendezvous. Got to know him a little bit. And then this past summer, we got together in Washington State and recorded about four and a half hours of audio. We were just kicking it in a conference room at a resort, drinking beers and coffees, and having a good time talking about hunting in Alaska. So I think you're going to dig this episode. Scott has done something really, really, really cool. I think it's better than a sheep slam, personally. Just in terms of blue collar, super challenging, really nerdy if you're a sheep hunter or interested interested in sheep hunting. Really cool. Check this one out. Very cool. All about Alaska. Scott's a great guy. And uh, yeah. I, what, what the hell else do you say in an intro? I don't know. Anyway, Scott's a great guy. He tells some good stories. That sounds so stupid. <sighs> okay. I just want to talk to you, but there's a microphone here and they're not here. So how do you do that? I'm gonna, I got to stop doing these intros after the fact. It's ridiculous. I'm just going to stop doing intros altogether. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is Alaska DIY. Alaska DIY. <laughs> so what? Uh, so where did you come from, man? Oh wait, you're Scott. I'm Scott. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, I'm talking with Abe. Yeah, we're here. We're actually at Skamania. Is that how you say it? Skamania Lodge. Skamania. You're you're the local. I'm not a local. You're localer like than I am. Four and a half hours away. <laughs> I just drove down this morning to hang out with Scott because you're here for like some fancy work thing, right? That's right. We're here for a work trip and grateful for this opportunity. We talked about doing this over the phone. Yeah. That, um, it, you know, it's not the same. No, this no. is. I'm so glad this worked out. Yeah, me too. So we met at the BHA Rendezvous, spring of 2017 in Missoula, Montana. That was a lot of fun. That was cool, man. And you guys... I. I hope you guys had fun because you were definitely kind of tucked in the back corner. Yep. You were like behind the staircase and the whole rest of the show was all out in the big room. You know, Ty Stubblefield came down and was like, what are you doing over here? We got to get you moved. And I said, hey, man, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. And it was it was a treat. Yeah. To be a part of that. That's a good group of people doing a really cool thing. Absolutely. And it was it was really fun to meet you there. And 
we just kind of started chit-chatting a little bit over the table, and then I think we ended up grabbing beer later at the, um, what was that? That was the tap night or whatever. Tap night cook-off. Yeah, the game cook-off, and that was a wild, there was a lot of people in there, man. A lot of people, and that whole group likes their beer. There was some good beer there. Yeah, there was. I like my beer. <laughs> um, so that was fun, but we didn't connect. We didn't get a chance to sit down and talk, and then we kind of text message and was like, Hey, we could do it over the phone. And then you were like, Hey, I live in Anchorage. You could do it at my house if you make it up here. And I thought, Hey, that's cool. I'm saying, Hey, a lot. I I was thinking that's cool, but we're going to have like four days to land, get my wife and our, however many kids we have five kids settled. And then I'm off catching a flight out to you're out in the field, be in the field for 30 days at a go. And that's probably not very practical. So this works out. Okay, so Scott, you're kind of a badass, dude. I met you at this BHA thing. I was like, hey, this is cool. What are you doing? What's your thing? And saw saw some ram horns on the table and was like, oh, hey, cool, sheep hunter. Um, but then when you started telling me kind of why you were there, what you had done, you know, like if I saw you on the road or like on the street and we we're just walking, I wouldn't be like, look at that guy. He's right. a badass. He's a hardcore dude. And then, yeah, but you wouldn't you, think that. You, I wouldn't think that. But you know what? The real badasses in life, that's how they are. They don't... I mean, I think one thing that's kept us in check is, you know, there's a lot of of uh, stories in Alaska of, of uh, folks that have gone out and done credible stuff, whether they're badasses or not. There's a lot of badass stories. Oh, for sure. There's some legends. There's legends that people know of that people don't know of. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to get to what you've done in a little bit, but I just wanted to point out that, yep. that I dig it when I, yeah. When you told you kind of explaining to me, you know, at the rendezvous there in Missoula several months ago, I was just thinking to myself like, Oh man, that's really cool. Like that's really cool. That's a neat thing. Okay. So how many years did it take you? Like without explaining what it is, how many years did it take you to accomplish this goal? It took me 11 years. So you... Yep. And when you started the first year, were you thinking like, this is the goal? Or did it kind of like evolve midway through? It totally evolved midway through. Um, I was thinking about that this morning of, you know, when... I don't know how do you start this without saying a little bit about what it is, but well, we have to back up and do the backstory before we okay. get into it too much. Yeah. So it evolved midway through, like it, year it three, evolved, year two, year five. Honestly, it probably wasn't until I mean I was on board with this goal that my essentially my buddy had created or come up with on his own when I killed my second sheep. Okay. And, um, but I don't think the reality of the goal set in until I had three sheep left. And how many sheep have you killed now? Um, I mean, because the, the goal was seven sheep. Seven. Uh, since, I mean, well, in all that whole time now, I've 11 rams. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting next to a guy who's killed 11 doll sheep in Alaska. Yeah. For those of you who dream of someday killing a doll sheep in Alaska or a sheep anywhere, Scott's killed 11. That's pretty cool. I've been fortunate. I mean, that's like, that's a big deal. There's a lot of guys out there who live in the West and haven't killed 11 mule deer, you know? Yeah, right. And yours are white curly horde rams up in the North Country, man. 
That's awesome. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute. When did you start hunting seriously? So coming from Nebraska, you know, when I first moved up to Alaska, the first couple few years, it was like, all right, how long am I going to stick it out up here until I got to go back to Nebraska? I loved uh, our rifle season. I loved our bow season and sitting in the tree stand. Um, that's one of the main reasons I went to college out there was that school was two hours from my grandparents and our ranch and deer hunting for half of the school year. So, um, but then as I, as I got into hunting Alaska, mainly through, uh, good friends that I was developing relationships with and who were showing me how to hunt Alaska. I mean, it's a totally different ball game up there. I want to get into, let's bookmark that. Cause I really okay. want to get into that learning curve in a yep. little bit. So let's. So, yeah. So, I mean, I moved to Alaska in 2002. So my first hunt was black bears in 2003. And I remember freaking out when we went and did a stock on the first black bear we saw. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm hunting black bears in Alaska. Where was that hunt? It was in the Chugach Mountains, right out back behind Anchorage. Was, was that a registration hunt then? Or was it just over the counter? There's, yeah, over the counter tags and, and registration in there. So yeah, it's basically just open for hunting black bears. And it's literally like behind the sub suburban sprawl of Anchorage, basically. Yep. Like, yeah. I mean, you can, hiking. you can sit there and look at the, the hillsides, the mountainsides from Anchorage and there's portions of it that you can hunt. And some of the trailheads there that I've been up, it's like, it's not really a trailhead. It's like you're parking between two houses almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like there's a little shoulder and then a trail starts right there. And it's just the, it's just kind of like that. You know how a Western, a town anywhere in the Western U.S. will kind of sprawl up the hillside a little bit. It's right. just like that. But it's like the last row of houses on the hill. Yeah. It's kind of parked between a couple houses and little, start hiking. A little bit of a shoulder to pull off on. And yeah, exactly. Head down this trail to the wildlife. And then it's like literally, you get a couple miles back there and it, it feels like you're dropped in the middle of nowhere. If there's yeah. no hikers on the trail, it's just... Yep. No, it's... The mountains are big. Um, yeah, it's... it's Again, it's just Alaska. It's not going to disappoint you, even that close to Anchorage. Yeah. Cool. So, Black Bear Hunt the first time, and you were, you were like 22? 23. 23? Yep. Okay. And shot a Black Bear that trip. Used a lot of gear that... I would never carry into the backcountry again, um, but that that was a big learning curve for me. But I would still say, you know, it was a couple, it was a couple years figuring it out. Remind it's, me, I want to do the gear thing closer yep. to the end. So when we kind of wind through the sheep's stories and stuff, because we'll get there. I mean, sure, we're talking about sheep, right? But after that, after some of those stories, let's talk about. So gear. an important aspect on that that black bear hunt was getting to hunt with this guy that. I'd heard about and I'd met him a couple times, um, mainly through when I was working at the church. He was good friends with somebody I worked with and got the invite to go on this black bear hunt. So I was like, man, I'd heard stories of this guy, Steve Bethune. You know, he'd, he'd done these sheep hunts and he did these sheep hunts on his own. So it kind of, I'd kind of built him up in my head as like the solo sheep hunting king of Alaska. And, you know, of course, stories that are told to you are exaggerated, but, um, for some of the things he had, he had done, 
not so much. And so, yeah, we go on this black bear hunt. We hike way back in the mountains and we're camping out and spotting black bears on the mountainsides. And then I'm following Steve on this, on this stock and I'm super excited. I'm like freaking myself out mentally of I'm hunting black bears and this is crazy. And I'm hiking with hero Steve. And next thing I know, I trip over a tree root, totally sprawl out face down on the ground. And I dug my gun into the ground. Luckily I had electrical tape over the barrel. And I just remember standing up and he kind of looking back at me like, you goon. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, I blew it. Steve's never going to hunt with me again. You know, and I, I'm just this kid, you know, wigging myself out. Alaska's overwhelming. And, but later that day, not that stock, but another later that day, I got my first bear and, um, yeah, just kind of realized what, what it takes to haul an animal out of the, the back country. And I mean, in Nebraska, it was, you might have to drag a deer a little bit, but get it to a pickup and, and you probably have a buddy to help you if you needed it. Right. right? So, yeah. so yeah, this was, this was, this was a whole new experience opening my eyes to yeah. Backcountry hunting. What was it a black, black bear? Or was it a color phase? It was, it was black. So color phase are rare in Alaska. You know, I've heard that from so many people and I've seen some really nice color phase black bears in multiple locations in Alaska. My buddy shot one. Yep. Um, no, they, they definitely exist. Yeah. There, I've seen more. I've been to Idaho recently in the last couple of years trying to shoot a color phase, color phase black bear in an area where it's reportedly like 60% color phase or something like greater than half. And all I'm seeing is black. Yeah. And then I spent time in Alaska and of course it's just randomly, you know, it's just right. anecdotal. But, um, the time I've spent in Alaska and I've heard, Oh, you never see a color phase here. And I've That's seen hilarious. multiple, you know? Um, so anyway, for what it's worth. No, very cool. And then did you pack the meat out and eat it? Oh yeah. I love black bear meat. Oh man. I do too. Yep. It gets poo pooed a lot. People, people, people talk it down, but We've got a mean Italian sausage recipe we whipped together, and yeah. Have you ever had the ribs? Have you taken the ribs out with meat on and cooked it like smoked ribs? Never. Oh, my goodness. It's a good challenge. It's my favorite. Wow. The, now, I will say, I haven't had them side by side with sheep ribs. Sheep ribs have, there's like this magical element Yes. Uh, this lore, uh, this mountain lore, this kind of mystique around having sheep ribs over the fire on the mountain after, you know, right after, like the night after right. shooting a ram. So it's very hard to um, compare that. Ex you, ca you can't dissect the culinary quality from the experiential quality, if you know what I'm saying. Like you can't, you can't tear those two apart. It's like they're intertwined. Exactly. Right? So it's impossible. I have no idea if I like sheep ribs better than bear ribs. One of these days, if I get up there, I'm going to have to pull sheep ribs off the mountain and hope that, cause you put them in the freezer. Isn't exactly the same thing either. You oh, got to no. eat them fresh. You so to. I'm going to have to like, Find some brush. Shoot a, a ram and then quickly go find a black bear in the next day or two. <laughs> so I, just so I can do a rib comparison. It still won't be the same because the effort you put into that sheep. I know. But you could, do, you could do like a double blind, like invite the friends over, have somebody else cook them, 
blindfolded. This is getting way too complicated, but the point is <laughs> I love black bear ribs, man, not counting sheep ribs. I am quick to tell people that black bear ribs are my favorite ribs of any game of any animal, any animal ribs. That's great. I'm always looking for more ways to utilize all the animal in. and the, uh, that sounds oh great. Man, it's awesome. And, uh, the trick, I mean the best spring ribs are awesome, but the best are fall bear fall bears on berry fields. Right. I mean, yep. that is like, yeah, I have, that's awesome. yeah, I shot one bear in the fall and it was so fun. They, they're so occupied with gorging themselves on the blueberries. You know, I was, I was hunting this bear with my bow and I felt, I felt like I could have gotten as close as I wanted. You know, I, I shot him at like 27 yards and it was, I could, I could have gotten closer, you know, then once he was down, you know, you rub your hand on his black coat and you turn your hand over. And it's just purple. It's like, he was just wallowing in the berries. I had a really similar experience this spring on a spring bear in Idaho and it was a meat hunt. So my kids are little carnivores. They eat a ton of meat. We put a whole bunch of game, including two elk. And we still, and we bought a half of a pig from some farmer friends, friends, and we do all of our own butchery. And we had, we still had probably like 30 or 40 pounds of King fillets. Um, we had a lot and two deer. We had a ton of meat in the freezer last fall. We were out of meat by the end of April. Wow. And, uh, this is how, this is what we do at yep. we're Henderson's. We eat a lot of meat, I guess. I don't know. Anyway. So I'm, my wife's freaking out like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to start buying meat at the store. This is disgusting. I don't want to do it. You know? And I'm like, you know, I'm just like fist pumping. Like, yes. I'm like, yes, there are black bear tags in the <laughs> springtime. Let me save you the burden of buying meat in the store. It'll only take a couple of out of state tags. I'll run over to Idaho with the boys. We'll get some black bears for the freezer. And we did just that and it was awesome. But I had a similar well experience done. where, um, we got into one of the wilderness areas in central Idaho and I took the gun cause I've been practicing with my bow all spring and it was kind of like, I wanted to take my long bow, but it just was not practical. Right. It's like, this is a meat run. It's a meat run. It's, yeah. The odds. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, it's kind of, there's a bit of urgency here. Like we have five hungry kids at home and my wife is saying there's no more white wrap in the freezer, you know? So I run in there and we spot this bear on, on the hillside and, and I'm not a guy to shoot long range. I just, I just, I just enjoy the stock and I enjoy getting close. And to me, the shooting is not what it's about. I just really enjoy the process. And so You're in good company. Yeah. So yep. it's right. That's, that's what it's about. I mean, to me, for the guys who like the long range thing, just as a brief rabbit trail, that's great. The challenge is in the shooting. That's cool. That's not why I do it. That's just no, not my preference. That, the challenge taking for me, a stock from 400 yards to 200 yards. It's yards. It's fun. Yeah. Oh, and it's cat and mouse and it's playing the wind and terrain and oh, there's so many. Yeah. Anyway, I could nerd out on that for a while, but anyway. Okay. So I'm thinking like, let's cut this down to like a hundred yards, right? Well, the way the, the way the terrain ran and just the nature of this situation and the way the thermals we were like right on the diurnal shift in the evening. It, so anyway, without getting too into the details, we ended up very close to this bear and still couldn't see it with the boys. No, this was me and a buddy with a, with okay. a rifle, um, just doing this meat run. And, uh, it, when we could finally see it and I shot, it, it was 18 yards and I was just like broadside. And I was just like, I could have brought my longbow. 
Gonna, yeah. You know, of course you don't know, right? Exactly. But, uh, and I mean, I didn't mean to get that close. I wouldn't have, I would have shot it just perfectly happily at a hundred or 150 yards, you know, but that's just how it worked out. Yeah. It was really fun, but, uh, delicious meat. Oh my gosh. We, it was a, it was a fat sow. Um, and she had, we rendered like over a gallon of lard off of her. Nicely in done. the spring. Yep. Crazy. We've, we've done the spring bears and rendered the lard. Oh man. So cool. That's some, that's some sweet stuff. Yeah. So in the ribs, I pulled the, ri- oh man, we, we called friends and when we got home, we had a big barbecue, grilled up the ribs and, uh, had a bunch of beers and bonfire. It was awesome. Anyway, that's my Sounds story. Fun. We're here to talk about you. Um, I get, I do this. Okay. Where were we? We we're talking about bear meat and your first hunt in Alaska. Yep. And, um, when did you get, okay. So black, black bear, just, just give me the quick breakdown of like kind of your transition into hunting in Alaska. Like how quickly did you get serious? When did you start shooting stuff like moose and caribou? And then we'll get to So sheep. that, that fall went, um, so after, after taking that black bear in the spring, I did basically one legitimate hunt that fall. I ran up over Labor Day weekend to try and shoot a caribou and went into an area. It was, you could shoot either or as far as bull or a cow. cow. Okay. And, uh, hiked way back in this place up and over a ridge. And I was happy, you know, there's, there was a cow there, shot her and was totally stoked. Um, it was, it was kind of, it was one of those meat runs, you know, Mm. single bachelor and, I don't need a whole lot this year. And, but then to once, once I started butchering the cow, it's like these bulls come up out of the draw. And I still remember these three bulls. One of them was just ginormous antlers, you know, walking around me at 75 yards, checking me out. And it's like, what time of year was this? September, early September. When were they white maned yet? Like, when does that happen? Cause I've seen the early season ones and they look pretty grayish brown yeah, and then the no, later they start to get this white mane, right? Is that a th- yeah. winter coat thing? So you, you'll see it different caribou, you know, you, we've been in one area and you see some of the bulls will have a white mane early. Some of them, it's not happening for a couple of weeks. I've never really shot them past the first of September. So after that, I guess it's about everybody's getting getting their white manes but they will all they all get white manes for their winter coat pretty much right i think that's so a, yeah. yeah okay that's because that's a beautiful thing when they it when is they harden off and they have yep. the white mane and the gray body yeah classic on the on you know the the red tundra with the white cap mountain mckinley in the background or what i mean that's like the classic yep. image right and i just i just remember you know these these caribou bulls and and it still gets me today when you see big bulls out there just how massive their antlers are. I mean, the cows have antlers too. So, you know, for a whitetail hunter and you see this cow with what you think are decent antlers, you're pretty excited. And again, I'm just after meat, so this will work. But then to see a bull and just how disproportioned those antlers are to the body, it's it's an amazing, they're, yeah, so they're I'm, gorgeous. Man, they are beautiful. I have never hunted caribou before. So, and I've kind of heard people talk about how big they are. They say they're kind of smaller than an elk, bigger than a deer. Yeah. But 
when you walk up on one compared to walking up on a Nebraska corn fed whitetail, like how big is this animal? So the first bull I shot was a couple years later and he, he was a nice big bull and yeah, I mean, up, up to then he was the biggest animal I'd shot. Um, it was, it was impressive. But again, yeah, not as big as an elk. So okay, I've never elk hunted, so I wasn't comparing it to that. It was it okay. was strictly. But like two white tails, is it two? Oh yeah, easy. Okay. Yeah. And like, how much boned out meat? Like, if you're planning on your a decent bull, you're gonna you're pre, you're gonna easily get a hundred pounds of meat. Okay. Yeah. Bigger bull. I don't know if you'd one thirty. Okay. Of boned out, like yep. like white wrap meat kind of a thing, or. Boned out and of boned out, the, out. You still got okay. some trimming to some do. Trim. Okay. Yeah. And the, and in Alaska, just to clarify for folks that may not know, but the the meat salvage is a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. You want to um, talk about that real quick? So for most animals, you know, especially your ungulates, um, you got to take all the meat, of all, you know, the meat of all four quarters, of course, the back strap, the tenderloins. Um, you've got to get the shanks. Um, off the legs, get to get all the neck meat. And then the one that people don't, um, I guess the one that people don't focus on enough is getting all the rib meat and fish and game defines that as the meat in between the rib bones as well. Which is just one more reason to take the rib cage, you know, it tastes and grill yeah. them on the, take the whole thing. Yeah. Yep. You're going to use it then. Yeah. For so, sure. My perspective on this is um, the first year that I started working in Alaska, I wasn't guiding. You know, I had to do kind of a two-year apprenticeship since I didn't grow up there. had never hunted there before. Um, so I was what they call a packer, which is basically a cheap human mule. And But, it, you know, at the same time, you know, I got to be in the field with the guides on the hunt. So I was fortunate. Some guys up there, they kind of like stay in base camp and then they just get called out. They get called out. Yeah, called out to do to, the hard work. To haul a moose. Yeah. So yeah. I was fortunate. And I appreciate that. But one of the things that the guides would talk about is they said that they would get a ticket as a guide if um, if a trooper came in and could cut three pounds of meat off of the carcass that they had left behind. So they didn't define it in terms of like what pieces of meat they had to take. Sure. They define it, you know, it was like you have to take all the meat and if you don't take enough meat and he can get three pounds worth of trimmings you know, off of an entire skeleton, basically like that's worthy of a ticket, which is a big deal. If you're a guide, you know, you're a licensed professional. And yeah, you bet. So that's a big deal for anybody. Yeah. So, so the state of Alaska takes this very seriously and for good reason. I wish other states would follow suit. Why not? I mean, who wants to see waste in the field? That's right. This is a huge part of why we do it. For some people, it's the only reason they do it. No, hunt, hunting's a serious thing. And, and that's, that's a, and it, it always should be a, a major goal of the hunt is the meat you're putting in your freezer. Why not utilize all of it? Absolutely. Utilize it, but then also it speaks volumes about the respect or lack of respect you have for the animal. Yep. Right? And for if, sure. And I just feel like if you respect this animal, you know, the the primary thing, well, there's kind of a couple things there. Like one, you you want to ensure a clean kill. If you respect the animal, right? That's, yep. that's your goal fast and quick and, and get it over with. And hopefully, you know, the animal doesn't even know you're there. I mean, that's what we all hope for. Right. And the second thing is you're going to utilize the whole thing. You're going to take all that meat home. You're going to love it, appreciate it, consume it, share it, 
you know, and it's going to sustain your, yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, whatever. But you know, you, you value that and you cherish that. I mean, that's where, that's how I see it. Yeah. And I think that we don't, I think that we could talk more about that as hunters. I think some do. And I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a real problem with talking about trophy quality and inches and antlers and horns and stuff like that. Cause that's interesting and fun as well. But I think that I think it's important to have that balance. So anyway, rabbit trail. Um, so you, you got this caribou cow yep. and these bulls walk over the hill. They pop up and, and it's like, holy crap. It, yeah. It's like, there's, I mean, those are the first caribou bulls I'd ever seen. And it would just, I don't know, kind of put, put in perspective of what, what is, what is possible here in Alaska, you know, and, and kind of put some of those dreams of, you know, it's, it's more than just pictures in a magazine or, um, stuff you've read about. It's, this is here, this is real. It's attainable. And you're, and you're living it now. And I'm living it. It's yep. like you got blood on your hands. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then to be able to cook meat over a fire, you know, caribou meat over a fire that night. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, it's an awesome thing. The backcountry hunting up in Alaska. And you're in your early twenties still. And you just exactly. got, and you're and just thinking for what, what is, what's the and mental I'm, image? I'm thinking what's, what's next. Um, I don't know. It seems like, you know, when you're there, you think you're, you're just going to go and do all this. Um, looking back on it, it's like, I don't know how much thought process was going into a lot of it. You know, it's just, we're, I'm just going to go do this is, is what it was. And I think we hunted bears again that next spring. Um, but I wanted to go sheep hunting. And a lot of that was from stories I'd heard from Steve. I didn't grow up, you know, reading Jack O'Connor stories. Um, or dreaming of, of doll sheep or big horns out on the mountains. It was, it wasn't in my dream wheelhouse. You and, knew about them though, right? Oh yeah. You knew about them. Um, so why didn't you dream about sheep? Well, I, at this point living in Alaska, now I'm dreaming about it. But well, prior yeah. to then, I mean, I, I was just happy to hunt whitetails and chase coyotes all winter. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. That was my hunting world and, you know, was figuring that out. So it was, that was my energy. That was my focus. And then as I moved to Alaska and started the backcountry hunting, um, you know, no getting around it. I mean, a doll sheep are the epitome of adventure hunting and, Loved the mountains, loved hiking in the mountains, loved camping and waking up on those ridges. And it's like, I can do this on a hunt and, and maybe be successful. So I started planning my first sheep hunt, which was going to be 2004. Um, and was, was good friends with Steve Bethune at this point. And he had gone the year before to an area and got a ram on uh, what was a really difficult hunt, a lot of miles. Um, and so I'm planning my first hunt. I'm planning, all right, I'm going to do this by myself. All of my friends don't think that's a good idea. You know, you can't run out there by yourself. You can't do this on your own. And I've got Steve Bethune over here who does that 
And and this is the guy that you were talking about earlier that took you black bear hunting? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And is he older than you, about the same age? He's, or? what is he, six or seven years older? Okay, a little bit older. Yep. And had he, did he grow up in Alaska? No, he grew up in Oregon and, yeah, had moved up there. And, and he was, at that point, you know, as, as much of the hero status as I'd put on him, he was, he was still figuring Alaska out and figuring this backcountry hunting out. And, um, but dreaming, he was dreaming a lot more on the doll sheep than I was at this point, but I wanted to go doll sheep hunting. That was going to be my, my big hunt for the next year. I'd never really done anything like it. Um, but yeah, I was was just going to go for it. I was like, Hey, I can do black bear. I know I can do caribou. I'm going doll sheep hunting. That's a, did it feel like a big jump? It seems like a big jump to me. Again, I, I was young. I don't know how much I was thinking on it. Yeah. It was just, just like, I'm, gonna I'm just going to go do this. Yeah. You know, and there was, Screw it. there was no, there was no, I can't do this. It was just, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and maybe I'll bring a ram back. And you could see sheep, right? Like you were, were you hiking in the Chugach range and seeing rams or, or did you just know they were there? And- I knew they were there. Um, I'd seen them on a, at a distance, you know, I'd never, I'd never seen them up close. Um, none of the big rams, you know, and drive the Seward highway south of town. Uh, you'd see rams come down or sheep mainly that would come down by the road, but I'd never seen like a big mature ram. Um, so yeah, so I'm, so I'm planning the sheep hunt and I've got all the maps. I'm figuring out my route and I don't have enough vacation time to go do a serious scouting trip. So it's just like, what I'm were you, gonna, what were I'm, you doing for a living at that time? I was doing youth ministry at the okay. church and yeah. they wouldn't let you go to sheep hunting in Alaska, like a church gig. Like they didn't. Oh understand. yeah. And you're not going to haul kids off on that kind of, <laughs> we, we had our own, you know, we're, we'd take kids backpacking oh, and, but they wouldn't let you get away on vacation. Well, no, I was going to use all my vacation for sheep hunting. So, oh, okay. So but I, I didn't have trip. enough, yeah, that early in the game to, you know, take several days and you make a long weekend and go gotcha. go scouting that summer. Okay. Um, so it was just I'm gonna I'm I'm planning this on paper and talking with Steve about my plan, talking with uh this guy Dana, who ended up being my future father in law, talking to him about the sheep hunting plan and it was like, well, and then I'm going to, I'm going to fly my brother up. I had, I had a free plane ticket. I'm like, Hey, Eric, if, if you want to come sheep hunting with me, I'll fly you up. We'll go do this. And so that's, that's what we were going to do. Um, and then like two weeks before we're heading out for the opening week of sheep season, Steve says, your plan's good. Your plan's solid. I think you should go to the place I went last year. And he starts to tell me a little bit more about it. Wait, so he hadn't been really helping because this is the big thing with hunting, right? Is location exactly. This is the this is a big deal. Yep. Like you don't I mean, share your spots, right? And where I was going, it's a known area. It's got a lot of sheep. Um, you know, I was I was going to go in there. I was going to see sheep. Yeah. Who knows what I was going to do with it? Okay. Um. But based on what Steve had seen the year before, and an area that doesn't get as much pressure. He's like, Hey, should probably go here. And I'm not going to turn that 
yeah. nugget down. That's like somebody just giving you, I don't know. Gold nugget. Yeah. It's money. Or like their daughter yeah. in marriage. Or, oh, wait, that happened too. <laughs> you lucky son of a gun. <laughs> so so Steve tells me where, where I need to go. I borrow his map uh, for that area, and that's where my brother and I head off to. Uh-huh. And... Yeah, it was it was something else. It was an area where when you leave the road, you can't even see the sheep mountains. And you're oh, just man. They're they're back there, they're on the map. Wait, so you're part so okay, back up a little bit. Cause yep. we need to establish something. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of people that don't really under we've talked about how big Alaska is. Right. We talked about the map overlay. Anybody can go take a look at that. Google, you know, Google will pop it up and you know, just real quick, and you can see kind of how expansive this place is. And then the number of roads, like the number of road miles in that state are, like, do you have any idea? Like, is there any way you can I, quanti- quantify that for people? There's like one road that goes north. And then yeah, there's, there's, there's like five main roads in Alaska as far as highways go. And yeah, it's, it's not much. You can, you can get the maps or the, yeah, basically a roadmap of Alaska and, there's not much there. So would it be safe to say, let me, let's just throw out some numbers that might be wrong, but it will give the idea of what we're talking about. You're saying, would you say 75% of the state is not road accessible? I would say easily. Would you say 80? Probably. Yeah. Or like, it's, could I mean, you say it's, 90 it's, it's potentially? I, I don't know about that. I mean, but about it's kind of high, like, but it's, we're kind of it's, 85 maybe like, right? Like, so p- let's put it in more perspective. There's very limited roads. You know, right. you get, you get the one road that basically goes from Homer. You can shoot all the way up through Anchorage to Fairbanks. Right. And then up to Prudhoe Bay. Right. Um, and then there's just a couple, there's like two, three more roads off of that. Yeah. There's one that goes up through Toke and up, up to, to the Canada, border, to yeah, the border. and then that connects into Fairbanks as well. And mm-hmm. then you got a road down to Valdez. Right. And then a couple roads that connect those together. There's that little cutoff to, is it Seward or whatever? Right. Yeah, just that's just a short little road that it's just a pops short into road. Prince William Sound. Yeah, so, so not much road, but as far as distances, it's a lot of road. You know, Good point. if we want to drive to the Brooks Range from Anchorage to go hunting... You're looking at 13, 15 hours of driving. Yeah. And there's only one road that's only going to drop you off at one. That's right. One yep. stretch. It's not like you can take a side road and go another 50 miles down along the range or a hundred miles and then pop in from a different trailhead. It's like, right. no, there's you're, none of that. You're taking the one road, yeah. straight shot through it. And it's and just going to cut the Brooks range in the middle and you just pull off somewhere along there. Exactly. Not, not that we're saying well, this, this is where you're at. I don't know where yep. you're at, but cause it does hit some other mountain ranges as well. Right. But there is like extremely limited road access. And so you're talking about for sheep hunting, you're park you're pulling your rig off the side of a road and you can't even see the mountains that you're hiking to. Right. Is there a trail? Meh. Or is it like a there's, moose trail or is it like a river river bottom or there's a very short trail. Okay. And then it peters out and, and then, then you're, you're just yeah point of compass. wilderness going yeah. for it. Okay. And this is your first this is my Sheep first hunt. deal, yeah. Solo. And it's like first, like, this is the first time I'm legitimately navigating with a compass and a map. Yeah. and Or a compass and a map. And, uh, yeah, took a little bit of orienting to 
put the topography correct on the map and facing the right direction. And did you practice that or did you just go for it? Just going for it. And you're solo. No, I've got my brother with me. Your brother came up. That's right. He's more green than me. I mean, we're both as green as it gets out there. Okay. And but you had, I mean, you're not totally green. You had done the black bear. You'd done the caribou. You're learning. And I'm assuming you were doing some gear upgrades along the way a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I've got a good backpack at this point. That's that's about the only really good thing I have right now. Okay. Um, I did that right from the get go. So, so yeah, we take off and it was, it was a couple days, maybe I think three days getting to the mountains. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Three days of hiking to get to the mountains where you're going to start hunting. Right. And cool. How much food did you take for this? Like how many, how many days were you planning? I think we planned for nine or 10 days. Yeah. You know, and so. And three, so six of the, of nine or 10 days. Six of those days are committed to hiking. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, you don't have much time to hunt once you get in there. Right. But and had you thought that through or was this just like, ah, screw it, it's the time I've got, we're going? No, you know, Steve had probably told us that of, you're not going to have a lot of time once you get in there, but they should be there. So and you, okay, so you knew it was going to take like three days to get in there. This yeah. wasn't a surprise. Okay. Cool. No, I, I knew, I knew what the miles were. I knew but, we were going to be able to do a day and. But still, this is why, like I said, you're a badass earlier because it's like, this is your first <laughs> sheep hunt and you're just like, yeah, I'll hike for three days just right. to s- see the mountains that where I might find a sheep. That's and, cool. And just, yeah, just going for it. Yeah, cool. Okay. So yeah, we hike in there, we get to the mountains and we got up early, hike up, you know, the first mountain ridge and I can remember, you know, as we started glassing around there was a little group of like seven or eight half curl rams on this ridge. And those, those were fun to see. We're like, Oh, there's sheep here, you know? And then we kind of got followed this ridge once they were out of sight and we started glassing. And I, I remember looking over and there's just like hundreds of sheep on this mountainside, but we never, we never paid much attention to it because that was kind of off in the distance, but I'll still never forget just all those white dots on this mountainside. And then right down below us is this group of rams. And there's, I think there were three or four of them. And throw the spotting scope on them. And this is my first view of a mature ram. You know, I mean, they were all, all, I think the, the smallest one was, you know, better than three quarter curl. And there were a couple full curl rams and, one was definitely like bigger than the others. So yeah, then we spent a few hours trying to figure out how we're going to stock these sheep and put together, you know, it was probably the worst sheep hunting stock you could ever do. You know, let's stock them from below. And you got to learn. You got, we all have, you got to learn. So yeah, we, we did it. We, we cruised around down the side of this mountain, um, out of sight, ducked through this little pass where they couldn't see us and got in the creek bed below them. And they were kind of just up on this low, low bowl and just kind of think like a, a gradually sloping grassy knoll. And they were up on top of it. So we start going up the side of that 
we're getting closer and you know, our hearts are just pounding a hundred miles an hour and we're breathing hard from the climb. And just, I can imagine our eyes were just wide open. We're looking around like a couple of scared kids, which we probably were thinking these sheep are, you know, as, as the contour of the hills coming into view, it's like, they're, we're going to see it. We're going to see that top. We're going to see them real quick. And, um, next thing we know, there's sheep horns on the horizon, like running towards us. So there's one big rock out there and we run over and duck behind it. And we're kind of peeking out the sides and over the top as this three quarter curl is running back and forth, you know, and we'd, we'd seen enough animal, animal behavior that we knew they knew we were here and whether they'd heard us or smelled us, I don't know, but um, this ram was, was definitely looking for us, looking to see what had smelled or what had heard. And we're freaking out like, Oh no, you know, the game's over. And, and the ram turns and runs away. And we're like, all right, on the count of 10, we're going to run to the top of this hill. So we left our packs, got the rifle range finder, count to 10 and boom, we sprint to the top. Why did you, why did you count to 10? I don't know. That's what we do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounded, it sounded yeah. good. It didn't matter like when, I mean, it, when you ran, right? No, it was, oh, okay. was kind of like, you know, same time. We'll give him time to not be right there when we stand up or something. Gotcha. I don't know. A little distance once you once you crest. The yeah. Top. W- once we start running like predators at him, yeah. maybe there's a little bit of a different distance. Okay. So yeah, we crest over the top and all the rams are at the far side of this hill. Uh, getting ready to head up into the nasty stuff. I lay down to take a prone shot. My brother ranges them and it was like 242 yards or something. And it was pretty easy to pick out the big ram. He was in the back of the bunch. Um, And yes, broadside shot. He stumbles. I have my first ram down. Man. And I'm freaking That's out. Exciting. It's like, is this the first day you were hunting once you got in there? Yeah. Three days in and then you, yeah. And there it first is. First day in the mountains. Did yep. you expect to kill a ram or was it kind of like, we're going to go try? When, when or, you're, when you're young, I mean, you want to, you want to kill a ram, but when you're young, I don't, I don't think you, I don't know. I, I don't even, I think it took several years of sheep hunting to realize, you know, how hard it is. You know, otherwise I was, I was just going, I was just loving the adventure and I'm in Alaska. It's, it's kind of like every dream come true of the animals are there and you just have to go out and get them. Um, but when in ret- retrospect, like you said, I mean, you got to hike three days to get to these sheep. That's, that's not something everybody just goes and does. Yeah, not everybody who, has had the dream of hunting doll sheep is like, Oh yeah, sign me up. I want to hike three days just to get there and hope maybe there's some sheep, you know? Right. I mean, that's, that's a reality. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy people like us that are like, Oh yeah, only, just, only three days. Okay, let's go. Let's go for it. <laughs> so, you know, with, with doll sheep hunting, the full curl regulations, um, it's something that, you know, it's, I think for any sheep hunter, especially a new one, um, it's what keeps you up at night, you know, before hunt, that was, how do you tell if it's a full curl ram? And, and you didn't have a lot to go on back then. Fish and game has stepped it up the last couple of years and given tools to hunters. And, um, 
our uh, our lace them up video has a lot of good stuff in there. Wait a second, we haven't started. To, we know. haven't talked about that yet. I had Let, to, well, I had to throw to a plug. Yeah, we'll you'll have plenty of time for a plug. Let's but let's come so, back to that. So yeah, so so it's it's a big deal to have to judge a, what a legal ram is. It has to be full curl, uh, eight years old, or both horns broken. Um, okay, so really briefly, yep. full curl is tip of the horns to what? Forms, when you're looking at the sheep from the side, it, and the horns make a 360-degree circle, which isn't always directly from the side. Perfectly. And, and they don't always, like, they are sometimes are forward, sometimes are out. Like yeah. How- but if uh, depending on how a sheep is holding his head and what angle you're looking at it, you those horns when a when a ram reaches full curl, it'll make a perfect circle. Right. And it's it's basically that tip of the horn passes the front of the base of the horn, and the outer circumference makes literally a perfect circle. So what's the safest way? Like give the safest us a scenario. way is full curl. Is judging judging yeah. it by full curl. I mean, you can judge them and and shoot an eight year old ram. That's risky business. Yeah. Um, both it, horns broken. If if they're broken substantially, that's pretty straightforward, right? Really straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. You can't break them after the fact. They can tell. Like obviously, we would not condone anything like that. But just nope. to clarify, because somebody's like, "Well, you shoot, you could break a horn off." You know, people get busted for it. Right. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Let's not do that. Nope. Um. Okay. So and then. And then just briefly, how do you tell, how can you tell a ram is eight years old? Counting the age rings. So when, when a ram is growing its horns, it lays every year in the winter, it lays down an, uh, an age ring. And that's basically when the ram stops growing his horn for the year. So in the late fall, um, they stop, they're, they're not on the high nutrient feed anymore. So they're stopping growing their horns and they're just surviving over the winter. Then in the spring, when the feed starts to be there again for them, they start growing their horns again. And so there's this, there's this definite line that's visible. Um, that's it's their age ring, their annuli. So why is that risky though? You said it was risky. It's risky because there's lots of false age rings and just by the way a horn grows, I mean, it creates these lines and you know, again, an, an age ring is definitive and it, when you have them in your hands, uh, you can see them. But ev- even then, I mean, you can take a set of sheep horns, pass it around to five guys in a room and you might get five different answers on how old that ram is. And everybody's got it in their hands. So trying to age sheep on the hoof through a spotting scope at 200, 400, 600 yards, that's risky business. Yeah, from what I've seen, just and just to kind of add a little more color to this, I guess, the age rings are really easy to tell for the younger age rings. In other words, farther out on the horn, you got a lot of space between them. They leave like this really defined ring. And even through a spotting scope, it's not that big of a deal. But man, when you start getting into like 10-year-old rams, 11-year-old rams, like an old ram, counting those, those age rings close to the base of the skull... They really start stacking them close to each other. And they also, there's also just a lot of wrinkles in the horns, like you were saying, like a lot of false rings. Like yeah. I don't even, you know, even when I was looking, like you said, in camp, on sheep hunts, looking through spot and scopes, looking at horns in my hands, it's, it's hard, you know, to tell exactly what's what. And we, and, and I even did have an experience where we shot a ram that 
we believed was full curl. And this was a guided hunt and I was packing, you know, not guiding. Uh, shot around, believed it was full curl, but also had counted eight growth rings just, you know, to make sure. And no problem. Once we had it on the ground, once we had it in our hands, it was it, like we had made a good decision. But I remember thinking, like, how how can he tell? Like, I can't tell. Like, what is this guy looking right. at? You know, no, there there was one year I remember I I was I was by myself. I'd snuck in on these rams. One was full curl. That was the one I was going to shoot. And you know, it's it's just something you as a sheep hunter do. It's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try aging him. So I count the rings. But eight years old, sweet. But he's full curl. That's what I'm shooting him on. So I shot this ram. Get up to him. And he's five years old. And he was full curl? And he was full curl. Whoa. Could yeah. you imagine that ram at 10? I mean, not to, you don't, we don't have to go there, but I mean, that's kind of what a yeah. sheep hunter thinks though, right? Yeah. It's like if he would have survived. Yeah. Hmm. So, <clears throat> so yeah, it's, 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 it's risky. It can be done. Um, but this is a serious But I wouldn't curve. recommend it even to myself. Yeah. So, but this is kind of like one of those, barriers of entry to a, a new sheep hunter that is something really serious to consider. Cause yep. my experience is that Alaska uh, fishing game, they take this stuff very seriously. Absolutely. So you, once you have a, it, once you kill a sheep and you know, Alaska requires that you bring that sheep in to be sealed. And, and basically that's you bring it in and fishing game uh, verifies that it meets the full curl regulations as a legal ram they drill a hole, which is always really sad in the horn. But it's in the back, right? Yeah, it's 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 wherever you wherever you want it. Okay. If the back is a good spot, and yeah, then they throw a seal in there. Is it like it, a brass plug? Is that what they're using? What is it? I don't think it's brass. What is it? Is it? It might be stainless, but oh, yeah, okay. it's just it's just a little. But it's like a metal plug with a little, stamp on the back of it. Exactly. So it goes in kind of flush with number. the horn, right? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that big of a deal. But it so, is, I, but you're I like, see your God, point. You're drilling a you're hole drilling in these horns. Yeah. But yeah, it is what it is. So okay. it's, it's, it's good. So, okay. So you have this beautiful ram on the ground. So first I got this time. ram on the ground. You're jumping in the air. What We're are you, super what are you excited. We just did this, but I'm freaking out. Like, come on. You know, as we're walking up to him, just like, I just remember praying over and over in my head, God, let this ram be legal. Let him be legal. I don't want to get in trouble. You know, and, and we'd watched him for hours, you know, through the scope. It was like, there's no doubt he's full curl. But, you know, you're walking up to your first ram, you're freaking out. At least I was. And was just, um, it was a ram that I, I had no idea what I had, you know. And, and we, we packed him out. I think it was, gosh, it was over, it was over 30 hours of hiking to get him out. I mean, we were... We were over 30 miles from the truck when we shot him. But so, one load with two guys, I mean, you boned him out. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm new to all this. I've, okay. I've packed out, you know, some, you know, a caribou cow and a, a black bear before. And, um, but yeah, I just, the, the physical, you know, hiking three days to get to the, the mountains. And I remember when we, when we loaded that sheep up and started hiking out of that bowl and climbing this ridge with these giant rocks and stuff's moving and it's just this physical feat of carrying all this up to the ridge top. Um, just how mentally daunting that was. 
you know, and when, once we got to the top, I was moving so slow, you know, we, we did a better job of dividing the load up. You know, I had all the meat, I had the horns, I had my share of the camp and did you pack the cape out? Like, did you cape it and take all that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. You were going to do like the, the shoulder mount thing. Well, I, I brought the whole hide out because I heard you could sell these things. Oh, okay. So I was like, I'm going to make some money off this hunt. And you know, youth pastor doesn't make, has, doesn't have a very good salary. So, right. So, so that was the plan. Um, so a whole hide, I mean, that's add was, some weight. Yeah. Did you flesh it first? Oh no, we're horrible. Oh, so you're talking what, like forty pounds or something? Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Yeah. You know the extra weight in we had in addition to me and horns, and the horns aren't light. No, you're. I mean, you're looking at, you know, horns on a skull is probably twenty pounds. Yeah, fifteen twenty pounds right there. And then you've got, depending on how you 50, know, 60 pounds of meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. So it it, it it adds up, and I just remember, just how heavy that seemed that day. Um, but we split the loads up and cruised out of the mountains and had, had my first sheep hunt. So cool. Done with. And, and I get home and I start showing people, you know, like my, like Dana, my future father-in-law, I'm showing him the horns and met him and his buddy for barbecue to tell him about the hunt. And I remember them coming to the truck and looking at the horns and, just like, do you know what you've done? I'm like, no, I, I don't know. She, I, you know, I, again, I didn't grow up dreaming about this stuff. And we throw a tape measure on it. It's 40 and a half inches. Ooh, man. It's a 10 year old Ram. Wow. And it's, it's, it's a Ram of a lifetime. That's special. Yeah. So for a lot of people listening that might not know, there's a lot of kind of like magical numbers we put on. There things. are. Every and animal's got yeah, that like magical 200 number. 200 inch mule deer. What is it for whitetail? I don't know what it is for whitetail. Is it 200 inches or for like that next level huge buck? I don't know. One. I don't know. I, I don't know either. Yeah, it, Somebody will tell us. But 200 inch mule deer, 400 inch elk, kind of like some round, huge next level type animals. Yep. And, that's, and for a ram, 40 inch ram, that's right? That's the holy grail of sheep hunting, yeah. you know, to, to reach that. And after, you know, my, it's not a regret, but after, man, 11 sheep now and 13 years of sheep hunting, it's like, I'd like to see that ram alive, you know, on a hunt now where, where I could appreciate, you know, everything he is and, and Just, recognize it in the field. Because you ha- have the perspective of experience now. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you all know, all the Rams I've seen through the scope, you and, can appreciate what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, how cool. I mean, how, is, how lucky it, and blessed you must have felt to come off the mountain on your first sheep hunt with this beautiful, exactly. amazing trophy. Yeah. No, it was, yeah, totally, totally amazing. And now I'm hooked. I mean, it's like, I can't wait for the next sheep hunt. So are your buddies like passing the horns around and just being super excited or was it pretty low key or what? Because when people start talking 40 inch rams, right. like th- that word kind of travels fast and you hear the rumors and you hear people talking about it and stuff. So I think in the circles I was running, um, it was a big deal, but, uh, you know, a lot of friends that, you know, didn't really hunt and just like, all right, well done. You know, you did it. And yeah. Gotcha. They didn't appreciate it in the same yeah. way. Yeah. So, so yeah. So then I was, I was hooked. And I think, you know, Steve sending me on that trip was kind of like this. All right, if Scott can do this, you know, maybe we'll be able to do something, you know, 
another sheep hunt in the future. And, and then, uh, so it was kind of like a proving ground or something. I, I think like it was. He was watching you yep. and offering so the, help. The next year, you know, he wanted to go hunt the Brooks range and, you know, kind of as far as him talking with his wife, the Brooks range was a place of like, you got to get somebody to go with you. You know, you've done all these solo trips, but that's a long drive. It's a long ways out there. Basically in another world, it seems like you got to have someone go with you. So I got the invite. Yep. So, I, and I think that ended up being, you know, in retrospect, that was our, our proving grounds on each other. Just, um, we, we have, we have a mutual friend who's kind of a, a lot of mountaineering experience and has been a mentor to both of us. And remember Bub was telling us before we went on that hunt, he's like, you know, you guys are just going to go out there and try and run each other ragged. And I, I don't know that, you know, we necessarily heard that because it's like, Oh, you know, you don't do that. Like you both, he's recognizing that you both are competitive. Is that, I think competitive and he's recognizing what we can do out there. Yeah. You know, before we could and you know that and just kind of that you know two two yeah competitive guys that are going to go out we're going to do something hard and this is where we're going to figure out how as far as you know a hunting partner relationship goes are we going to be hunting partners um do we even want to have hunting partners especially for steve you know he's he's never had anybody that could keep up yeah and and then what does that pushing each other look like out there? And that, that trip in the Brooks range, we came out with one Ram, um, which I had spotted. And so I, I, by default got to shoot that Ram. Um, yeah. Okay. So how do you, how did you guys figure that out? Cause going at two guys going in with two sheep dags on one hunt. Right. How did, how do you arrange? It wasn't something we discussed beforehand. Yeah. I'd probably recommend it. Um, like who gets to shoot first? Like, so so we're sitting on this ridge yeah, okay. and we've hiked tons of miles. We find this one legal ram. I'd spotted it. You know, it was more like, hey, that looks like a sheep right there. Steve had the spotting scope. He puts it in. And I don't know what was going on in his head um, of, of that moment of, wow, this is a legal ram. Scott spotted it. I got to give him the shot, you know, and, and he's the only one that's got this mountain range goal that we'll talk about. Um, and I'm, I remember when he's, he's like, that, that's a big Ram. The idea that I was going to shoot it hadn't crossed my mind yet. You know, that as far as, you know, you spotted it, you get to first crack at it or whatever. Um, and when he offered, you know, well, you spotted it, you know, you can shoot it. I'm not going to turn that down either. You know, he's, He's shot more sheep than me at this point, so I'm I'm okay with this. But because he had this goal, um, I I kind of felt guilty taking that sheep. Um, and I think he he had that in his mind of man, should I have given that opportunity to Scott? Because when we got to the truck, you know, it's it's always a there's a lot of elation when you when you finally finished packing that animal back to the vehicle and we loaded our packs in the back. We got the, the sheep on the meat on ice and we both sit down in the cab and, you know, this is the first time you sit down in a 
cushioned seat after, you know, being out there and just remember just that a brief moment of relaxation. And he turns and looks at me and he just got the paper, rock, scissors. He's like, just for kicks and giggles. And we like did after the fact. So he's totally like, after. I mean, it was like two days after the fact, three days, yeah. or whatever it was. And so he's like, he's implying he's that implying if you would have done paper, rock, scissors before that Ram got shot, who would have gotten the Who would have gotten He's like, yeah. just for kicks and giggles. And we did it and I beat him. So it's like, all right. So you doubled up on him. We doubled up on, oh, on it. But, uh, that's cool. Okay. So how so, far, so from, just out of curiosity, how did you have to hike three days on that one? We hiked, um, man, would, I think we hiked five days and had done over 60 miles and hadn't seen hardly any sheep. And then we came back to the truck, went to a new spot and found a ram like five miles from the truck. Okay. So, so what I, one of the things that I do want to do is just, I mean, you, nobody gets a trophy for how far you hike right. to find an animal. Um, even if that's self-imposed, you know what I mean? But there's a lot of people that don't, you know, that the, that don't have the same perspective of what hunting is in Alaska. Right. It's like, well, you know, even if you're hunting expansive, like wilderness spaces or, you know, or public land spaces in the Western U S most people still are not. I mean, nobody's hiking 60 miles to look for one animal. It's yeah. just not happening. There's too many roads, too many trail systems. I mean, you just don't have to do no, that. That's, right? I mean, that's a testament to how big Alaska is. I mean, and you're not even scratching it. Exactly. I mean, you can go do a 60 mile loop in the Brooks range and yep. you haven't, you haven't covered anything, made a right? Pencil dot on a big map. Yeah. You know, right. it's, it's until you're like, you know, up on a high mountain and you're looking over this expanse of mountains going off into the horizon, it just flat out, you, you can't imagine it. It's crazy. It's big. Crazy. Yep. Okay. So you put in some serious miles for this one, even though it wasn't as far right. off the road once you found some. But the yep. big challenge, it sounds like for a lot of this is not how far you have to go to find the rams, but just finding the rams. Exactly. You know, and, and the way we hunt, I mean, we've got, we've got our camp, everything's with us. And so it's a mobile camp. Yeah. And so every morning you're breaking camp and putting it on your back and then you're going hunting. Exactly. Yep. And it's, it's not much of a camp. Takes some so, extra effort though. But yeah, you're for sure. And it, and it takes the effort to just keep going, you know, for the most part, a lot of guys will hike in an area, set up their base camp and they might spike out here or there, but. Yeah, we're just tonight's gonna we'll camp tonight wherever we find ourselves. I mean, yeah, I love doing that. Even though sometimes I feel lazy and I'll set up like a like a spike camp or you know, it, it depends on what you're hunting too. Yeah, it totally you know, does. When we when we caribou or black bear hunt, you don't need to do that. We yeah. get to our destination and yeah. that's where we're hanging. But sheep hunting, you just have to cover all that country. Exactly. Kind of find those sheep. And sometimes it's finding the rams, right? Like you can find sheep. You can find them used a lot of times. Yep. I've seen that before, but you're in, you know, kind of like you, mule deer. It's like you can find does kind of more mid elevation, but those bucks a lot of times in the early season are up high and they've right. got their little hidey hose and their little pocket drainages and stuff. Yeah. And when you're, when you're doing this, you know, essentially all from foot and in some areas, you know, you've never been before. Like, you know, every time we hunted the brooks, it was, we're going here and then we're going to go there and we're going to work our way back to this area. We'll, we'll be looking along the way and we'll 
climb up this peak and look off that way. And, and it's all new country for it, you. It's all new. And, and yeah, you just crazy. It's, it's a great way to see it. And there's, there's a lot of joy in that moment of, we just found Ram. Yeah. You know, and a lot that's, of times that's so cool. Days four, five, six. So. Hey, that's why we love BHA. That's why we love those public lands. It's like you have access to. Exactly. I mean, it is unimaginable how much public land is in Alaska. You know, and there's a ton in the lower 48, especially Western United States. There's so much, but man, just right. to be able to go in any direction and it's all yours. That's a cool feeling. It, it is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, I take too many tangents. Um, you got you got your second ram the second year of sheep hunting. Yes. And what what was that feeling? You said you felt a little guilt. You didn't feel guilt after the ram was. Oh, when down I when I tell you about the the goal that Steve had. Yeah. Um, well, let's just do it now. So actually, wait. Let's not do it now. Okay. Because I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Potty break. Potty break. We'll be right back. We're back on, uh, I used the restroom and then somehow I came back with a beer. I don't know how. So anyway, um, the goal. Okay. So Steve, your buddy. Yep. You had killed your second Ram now and you already mentioned that he had this goal. Right. And now you're going to tell us what this goal is and what you have like in the years since that time, what you have accomplished. And he has as well, right? Like you both accomplished this goal, but this was your buddy, Steve, it was his dream and he kind of envisioned this thing. Exactly. And so to your knowledge, no one else has done this. Is that true? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even nobody has done it without the limitations. Okay. Really? We've put on ourselves. That you're aware of. Like that we're could, aware of. Exactly. There could I mean, be someone out there. Again, there's, there's, there's a lot of unsung heroes yeah. in Alaska. There's a lot of diehard um, dudes that don't go putting themselves out there for right. sure. But yeah. as, as far as we were able to dig up and, We've talked to some of the old timers and it's, it's legit. So you guys, it, it, like in this little slice of this thing called sheep hunting in Alaska, you guys are like historical figures now, basically. We, we have a unique story. Okay. Let's hear it. Man. <laughs> so, let's hear it. So when Steve, um, again, the year before I did my first sheep hunt, he did this hunt that was, you know, you know, again, over 30 miles from the truck, he did it on his own really got the snot beat out of himself physically. And, but when, once he healed up, he was like, all right, this, this is what I want to do. I want to hunt sheep. And, Wait, and what do you mean? Like physically got a snot beat up and healed up. Did he hurt himself or was it just like he wore himself down? Just wear worn yeah. down. You and know, we, we've all one that guy packing before, out right? a sheep. Oh, it's man. for three days. Exactly. On your back. All those miles. It's, it's hard. So he's got a pack that's got to be over 150 pounds. No, No? it's, it's probably right at, you know, 125. Okay. So he didn't take the whole hide. So you're talking horns, roughly 60 pounds of meat. So you're about 80 pounds there. Your camp, whatever food you need. I mean, you can eat sheep meat if there's in your ditching food on the way back, probably. Yep. And sorry, I got excited. 120 pounds. Yeah. 130 maybe. Yeah. Okay. So camp, you know, all all your camp gear, meat, horns, cape or hide. For three days. Yep. No trails, basically. Basically. Yeah. Right. No, no established maintained trails. Definitely. Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> yep. So, that, so that could wear a guy out for so sure. It wore him out. Yep. And, but it, you know, your body heals up and after a couple of weeks, 
you know, maybe it's just your toes that are numb at that point and your heart and your mind is ready to go again. Oh man. So, so the way this is what, okay. So there's this guy, Steve Rinella. Some people have heard of him, right? mm -hmm. Okay. We all have. And this is, he talks about this, right? It's like the fun that you're having in the moment and then the fun that hurt or like was painful in some way in the moment. And you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to do that again. And he talks about how that's the fun that actually over the years lasts. Like that's what sticks with you. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. But we're talking about real pain. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Like I've lost toenails before. I think a lot of guys have or like had toes literally go numb for days after a hard pack. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Among other things. Okay, sorry. So so Steve peels up and he starts uh, digging into doll sheep in Alaska. And he's reading um, basically whatever he can get his hands on. And, you know, one of the things that stood out to him is there's basically seven mountain range, major mountain ranges in Alaska that have doll sheep. And it's been, you know, th- through fishing game and whatever studies, you know, that's, it's always been classified that way. And, you know, being the hunter that he was, um, running off the budget and, and, you know, being willing to walk over 30 miles to, to get us to the mountains. Um, he's like, all right, I'm going to, I want to create a goal that, you know, really does, you know, would separate me from the average sheep hunter out there and do something that's really unique. So he says there's seven mountain ranges. Um, I want to take a ram out of each of those seven ranges by hiking in from the road. No okay. motorized access, no motorized support other than a highway vehicle. So let's break this down a little bit because the just the simple goal of taking one ram from each of the seven mountain ranges, I would say that's already a pretty challenging goal, right? I mean, totally, it's totally yep. doable, but it, you, but totally challenging, but it's challenging, right? That's seven rams, so it's going to take you close to a decade to do that, assuming you're killing on average a sheep a year, yep. which you may not be doing in reality. Like you, like, potentially like the might reality, not accomplish that. Um, for resident hunters, I mean. You know, Fish and Game has the stats. A resident hunter is successful one every four years. On doll sheep. On doll sheep. Okay. So there's that challenge to it. Yeah. So like, like, if you just took the one and four, four times seven. 28 years. 28 years. You're going to be an old man. Right. So hopefully <laughs> hopefully you're you're beating that average. Yeah. You know, yep. as a sheep hunter. But, so that's a challenging goal. But then, okay, we already talked a little bit about, a little bit about how limited the road system is in Alaska and how vast Alaska is. So the lim- why the limitation of from a road system? Can you explain that? Yeah, so doll sheep hunting, I you know, a lot of people it seems like it's synonymous with the super cub. And if I'm going to access sheep country, if I'm going to access mature rams, I got to do it via airplane, whether that's hiring you know, an air charter to fly me in or becoming a pilot myself. Okay. So let's back up. Yeah. I'm tracking with you hundred percent. What's a super cub, super cub. There you go. That is the, uh, famous bush plane of Alaska, you know, that, that can get people into small areas, ridge tops. Um, Ri- like we're talking, I've got a little, very limited experience with this. 
but I've been in some crazy places I've, via Super Cub. Like yep, I've knife seen videos ridges and it's like people yeah, are crazy. It's, it's flat out amazing what a good Super Cub pilot can do. Yeah. And where he can get people. And I tell my they've friends got, that they've got skills well earned. And dangerously they, earned too. It's, dangerously. Alaska's a, lot, a tough place. Yeah, and a lot of risk. And a lot yep. of yeah. Anyway, there's a lot to dive into there we won't dive into but i like I, like to my friends who've never been in a super cub or never seen one after flying in one and you can like you can buy kits like you can build a super cub right sure it's like yep. this stretchy like this synthetic material you stretch over a frame that you like hit the hit with a blow dryer and it shrinks up and then you got an airplane that's literally what it is right, right? am it's, i wrong no I mean, that's there, what, what it is you, I, I've, I've flown in a cub once um and yeah, it it's not much around you. Two seater front front pilot. Yep, stacked right back behind each other. Is barely considered a seat. It's literally twenty four. I believe twenty four inches wide interior space. So like, if you have broad shoulders, you're gonna be scrunched. Like your yeah, your shoulders are touching. You know the outside of the the what do they call it the fuselage or whatever on either side of the frame. And this thing. I tell my friends here that have never seen one before. It's like a four wheeler with wings. Like it has that same kind of feel to it, you know, as a four wheeler, almost like this, I don't know, this utility, like basic, simple utility right. vehicle that kind of rattles and you know, that's kind of what it is, but you fly around in it. It's crazy. It's wild. Anyway, they're super fun, but very hazardous at the yep. same time, but they get you places. So, okay. So Alaska, just a you know one fact that like that people like to throw around is um, more planes per capita than anywhere else in the world, right? Okay, right. So bush planes, super cubs, whatever you want to call them. There's Cessnas, Republic. There's a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and there's lot there's flying. lots of different types yeah. of planes, but super cub, doll sheep, right. it's like they're synonymous. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So if if a typical um, Alaska resident is planning a sheep hunt, they're looking for a plane, and it's it's right? like the first thing that comes to mind right. is. I got to get flown in and what's that going to cost? And, or do I have a buddy at work or yeah. am I going to buy a can plane I, this year? Or can get I get my pilot's license? Bum a ride off somebody for gas money and, yeah, or, you know, or do a trade or whatever. Right. So, so for a lot of folks, just the cost of that is out of reach. And roughly like just roughly, if you wanted to fly, let's say Alaska ranges close to Anchorage, you know, if you wanted to fly in, get a charter flight, to a spot on a map in the Alaska range, like kind of ballpark. What are you talking for a round trip? Three there. grand round trip. Okay. So, so if you are into elk hunting back home and you're driving, you know, you know, you're putting a couple hundred, few hundred bucks in gas in your truck and you're going elk hunting, we're talking, you know, that's one of the closer ranges yeah. that you can hunt, accessible ranges that you can hunt. You're talking about a three grand hunt. Yep, exactly. Okay. Okay. So, Kind of, so people kind of get this idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about sheep hunting and what it takes logistically to get to these areas. What, how most people view this thing, doll sheep hunting in Alaska. This is kind of like the common mentality amongst most most hunters, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. So just want to establish it's, that. It's definitely you know I've I've got to. Yeah, I've got to I've got to get a plane or a plane ride, and and that cost. Um, for a lot of people isn't something they're just going to do every year. Some people can afford it. Some people it's not in the budget. So for Steve, um, it was, you know, one, I want to, I want to accomplish this goal 
um, because this is the way I'm going to hunt. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pay that much money to go to go on a, a hunting trip. And, you know, and just the idea that, um, I think, I think it kind of developed more into inspiration of others of anybody can do this. You know, any Alaska resident can hunt bell sheep anywhere in the state of Alaska with no limitation. I mean, if, if you've got enough grit, if you've got enough determination and your highway vehicle runs, you can hunt doll sheep and you can be successful at it. So let's add one more element to that. Cause I agree with you a hundred percent. And this yep. is, this is what gets me excited about what you and Steve have both achieved, what you both have proved. But I would like go one step further and say anybody who wants to, like who prioritizes this aspect of their life high enough can become an Alaska resident. Thus right. can hunt doll sheep. Yep. Like, so anybody, I mean, there's a lot of work in Alaska. There just is. For like, sure. It, there are opportunities, right? It's not as far away as people think you can fly there and you can drive there, right? Exactly. It's like a, Anchorage is a bigger, like people there's, think. There's a lot of people in Alaska that have, have gone up there for a week and they haven't left. Never left. Yeah. Yep. And our plan, I mean, what I told my wife early on was that, hey, this is like non-negotiable, right? And she's <laughs> super cool. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was drawing a hard line or anything, but I was like, at some point in our lives, we're going to spend five to 10 years and be Alaskan residents and live in Alaska. And we're going to deal with the winters, but we're going to hunt like crazy every fall. Like, cause I, I'm not, I just don't see myself being the guy who's going to afford a $30,000 brown bear hunt, you know, and a $20,000 sheep hunt. And, you know, yeah. so on and so forth, but I want to do those things. So like, Hey, we can do this. Right. And so I want people to know, like there are opportunities, right? So anyway, go ahead. Yep. So, so you can so be yeah, an Alaska any, resident and you anybody can, can do this. That's right. Okay. Yep. With, without the limitations. And again, you know, when I shot my second sheep, I was like, all right, I'm on board with this goal. I think at that point it was more just like, you know, we've got this great friendship. This is something for two friends to pursue together. Um, the next year was the first year we doubled up where we both shot rams back in the mountains. So when you killed your ram in the Brooks range, you yep. had two in two different mountain ranges. Right. And he had what? He had... I think two at that point. I think we both had two. He, he might have had three... So you're pretty close. Yeah, we're okay. we're we're right there with each other. And were you talking? Was he sharing this goal with you, like on this hunt or prior to it? I'd I'd known about the goal. We talked okay. more about it on the trip. Yeah. Um. And it was, it was at the end of that. I mean, just that 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 Brooks Range hunt in 2005. It was like that was the solidification of yeah. our friendship. Cool. And you know, it was like, all right, we're we are doing this together mm -hmm. at that point. And we hunted the Alaska range the next year. We both shot rams. And that was the first year we both, you know, carried rams back to the truck at the same time. Same hunt. Same hunt. Out of the same group? Uh, no, we shot them consecutive days. Okay. Because there's this thing with sheep hunting that I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Where you kill the big ram and what happens? The others stand around like, hey, what's, 
he doing over laying down over yeah. there? And, and you get another opportunity. And every time I ever saw that, I was like, I can't wait till my kids are sheep hunting. Right. Because it's like, you know, if there's more than one full cl- full curl ram in, in a band of rams, and they you one know, person shoots the big ram, the lead ram, and the other person shoots the the next first full curl. And we've right? been able, you know, where rams will hang out waiting for their buddy to get up or their leader to get up. Yeah. And you walk up to 175 yards before they start moving off. Isn't that crazy? It just, they've got a loyalty there. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's very different than all the other animals yeah. that I've seen. I haven't hunted goats before. I don't know what they're like. Um, but they don't, they don't hang out in bands like rams do. Yeah, not... Not so much. Not as much. You'll see a couple billies no. together or something, but not like seven or 10 right. or something and then like it's that. And it's not the, you know, you shoot a buck out of a bachelor group and everybody scatters to the wind. Right. Elk's the same way. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we doubled up that year and in the Alaska range and hiked, you know, we got both those ramps to the truck. It was, I don't know, something clicked in our heads of, you know, maybe something clicked on, on packing out, but I mean, it was, it, it was really hard and, but it was, this is, this is possible that, you know, we can hunt together. We can both bring rams in out of the field because for the, it, for the most part, two sheep hunters go in the field, one sheep down, they split the load coming out. The next guy gets to shoot the next year. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I kind of asked about the Brooks range hunt, like who got to shoot, right? Yeah. Cause that's, you don't go like it's nice to take a buddy into the field on a hard hunt, especially like a backpacking wilderness style hunt. And of course you both have tags, but on something like sheep or like like an elk hunt would be similar, right? Right. When you get an animal down, it's not like, yeah, let's keep hunting or yeah, like, no. yeah, we expect to shoot another one. It's like, no, you're breaking it down, you're packing it out, and that's gonna take in most cases, the remainder of your hunt to do. That's right. And you just have this agreement somehow, either explicit or implicit, that that's what you're doing, right? Yep. Like you're just going to get an animal. Right. And and just just the reality of, you know, how many guys are going to carry two rams at once out of the mountains. It's it's hard. You know, there's there's a lot of people that can and do do it, but it's it's the it's the rare. So now you both have three, roughly. Yeah. Three, three or four. Three or four. Right, right around yep. there. Um, so you're like halfway there, almost, r- maybe. Right. Kind of. So now we've got this goal, all right, all right we got to get back to the brooks. And was that, did you kill three rams in three years? Yeah. <laughs> Lucky. I was, I was off awesome. to a good start. You were on a roll. So the next year, um, Steve ends up drawing a uh, Chugach Park sheep tag. So he's doing that solo. I'm going to go do my own sheep hunt. I, I was not successful on my sheep hunt that year. I found a bunch of rams, determined none were legal. And even though there was one that was very close, I came out of the mountains really proud of, you know, being able to, to make that call in the field. And, and I really think that that was a defining moment as, you know, I'm a sheep hunter and, and just showing that self-restraint, like that presence of mind to make yeah, that the, difficult call the and ethics, walk away. You know, yeah. when I first started sheep hunting, Steve had given me a challenge that he heard from an old sheep hunter that 
sheep hunters in Alaska are the hardest working and most ethical hunters in Alaska. And, and it was kind of like, all right, that's, that's like a sheep hunters code of conduct. And, and then, so to go on this hunt, to find a ram that is so close to legal and to walk away from that, um, was, you know, I'm, I'm living that code. You know, I, I worked hard to get here. I earned every bit of, you know, this ram should be legal or there should be a legal ram here. But the reality was he wasn't. And, and to walk back to the truck empty handed, um, it's a sense of pride. Do you feel like in that moment you either maybe, maybe not prove to yourself, but maybe, or earn something that was greater than just killing another ram? I, it, it was definitely proving to yourself and, and earning, earning that right to call yourself. I don't know if you want to call it a veteran sheep hunter at that point of, or just, I don't know that confidence of, you know, from when I started to freaking out after shooting this Ram that I knew was legal, but I still didn't know. And I was scared walking up to my first Ram to, I can absolutely judge any Ram in the field and say, yes, he's legal or no, he's not. And not be afraid to walk away from a exactly. close call. Yep. I mean, that because there's a lot of guys that would be like talking themselves into the fact that that's a legal sheep, right? I mean. Yep. And that's that's where somebody get, can get in trouble. Right. If you got to talk yourself into it. But was it the fear of getting in trouble that made you walk away? Or was it something else? No, it was. It, it, it's just your personal character. And it's your personal ethics and you're coming face to face with that when nobody is around. I mean, you are out in the middle of Alaska away from everything and you know, nobody's going to know if you shoot this Ram and you walk up to it. Oh man, I can't carry him out. He's not legal and walk away. Mm. That was never an option. I mean, it was, I, my, my character wasn't going to allow me to go there. And, and to, to face that and to, to win, you know, that, that, I guess you could call it the ethical battle, but wasn't much of a battle. There was a lot of wishing and hoping, but I, w- I wasn't gonna, yeah, give in to that at all. There was, there was no give in. Have you ever heard of a guy, I think his name is Jim Posowitz. Is it Posowitz? Is that how you say it? Yeah. So he, yep. he's written a lot about like ethics, ethical situations. And I think right. he's the one who wrote about like the maturation process of a hunter, right? Like you mature from the. Yep. I think he also, didn't he write uh, like fair chase? Right. Yeah. Right. So you, you, a hunter matures, you know, like starting out and it's like any opportunity is awesome. And you know, you're shooting away and excited about everything. You know, and then it's a numbers game and then it yep. kind of, and I don't remember all the steps, but I remember there's this point where it's like, you kind of, the hunter gets into like the way that a hunt is conducted or the style mm-hmm. or whatever, and that becomes important. And then there's kind of this point at the pinnacle where it's like, it's like all of a sudden the hunt is this experience to, and it's fine to just be there. And right. watch and you don't have to pull the trigger and you don't have like just the experience alone. Like that's enough. Right. And I think yep. if I remember right, and I could be butchering this, but if no, I remember right, that's kind of the pinnacle. On. And it sounds like you might it, on some level, 
you might, it sounds like you reach that at a pretty, pretty early on. If, like you're just you're just like yeah. Don't this- get me wrong. If that ram was legal, I'd have shot him. <laughs> yeah, great. But also, it's like this dilemma. Like I'm yep. just so happy to walk. You know, and I'm yeah. put, and I don't I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I'm or belabor the point. But it's like we all mature, and 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 we can you can kind of go in and out of that um pro, that absolutely those steps yep. of maturity, right? You can kind of bounce yep. around. But it's like for that thing that you had. Um, I can only imagine that you had placed so much value on that experience. And then you had this goal and this bigger ideal, right? Yep. And then to say like, okay, I'm okay. Just letting this be like that shows, you know, shows the depth of character one, but it also shows like how important it was to you. I I mean, that's how I see it. Yeah. I I like what you're saying. Okay. Carry on. So is, is that the one? Did you tell me about this at the BHA and then someone went in and shot their ammo? Is that a different story? I'm getting confused. Yeah, I'm not this one. Okay, different story. I might be confusing. So, so yeah, that was that was the first year I did not get a sheep, and Steve was able to capitalize on his Chugach uh, sheep tag, and then the next year we're planning to go back to the brook. So it's and like three years later from when we were up there. Did he go in solo? Yep, he did his okay. solo. Which drainage? I mean, it's a draw tag, right? It's like yeah, he. he I mean, was, I don't care if you don't want to say, but <laughs> no, I know but, most of them, so I'm curious. He was he was in Hunter Creek. Okay. Yep. Yeah. In a seriously epic hunt. Really? Yeah. Oh, it cool. was 13 days out there. And oh man, that sounds like fun. He got thrashed. Really? Again. That so. weather in there can be nasty. And that's that's what beat him up. Yeah. So. Was it the rifle tag that he drew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've hunted that for the bow tag, which is in October, which is cr- kind of crazy. It can be, can be glory. I've seen that first week of October. Just it wasn't oh, glorious. Every bow hunter is loving it out there. It wasn't a thrashing, but it was not glorious. It was a lot of cold and some snow and just yeah, yeah, kind of dreary. The Chugach can get windstorms that, I mean, it, it'd be making hurricane news down in the lower forty-eight. Yeah, it's just something that happens up there. Yeah. So yeah, so then we we're going back to the Brooks Range. Um, in 2008 and went into an area and I mean, it was, it was every sheep hunter's dream. We, we found a very large group of rams and had our pick of over a dozen legal rams. There was one ram in particular that we wanted. Um, but when we finally, we're able to put a stock together. We couldn't pass up two really nice double broom rams standing beside each other. Did you double again? We did. Oh my gosh. Yep. So we doubled wow. up and we hiked out of there. Out of the same group this time though. Yeah, out of the same group. It was it was bang bang. Yeah. Cool. And we hiked out. Again, it was a lot of miles. Um so on this on this hunt back to the Brooks range where you had already killed. So now you've doubled in the Brooks range. So this didn't really count towards that goal, right? Right. Not, not for me. It did I mean, for Steve. You and Steve doubled on this hunt, but now you've gotten your second ram out of the Brooks range. Correct. So then it's a great hunt and you killed a ram, but you're not any closer to the goal of seven but, rams. No, but we're in this goal together at this point. Right. So, so he got his. You know, yeah. this trip was about getting Steve his right. Brooks range. Correct. Ram. 
So um, did the previous Brooks Range trip a few years earlier, did it inform this one? Or are you in the similar area or did no, you just we're, find we're a new We're in a new area. area. Yeah. I mean, that's, okay. that's part of the, one of the great things about this goal is we just have gotten this bug deep inside of us that we're going to go to a new place. Yeah. And we're going to go to a new place. And yeah, we could have gone back to the Brooks and hunted around where we shot or ran before, but that's not exactly Why not as go exciting. to another place? Yeah, why right. not go see see new country? And so yeah, we we hiked out of the brooks. We came home. He's got the brooks range done now. And so we're looking at the Kenai Mountains. And that he'd hunted the Kenai Mountains a few times um, early on before we were hunting together. And we knew that, that was going to be our tough mountain range uh, to accomplish. Uh, and, and so at this point, he's living in Southeast Alaska. I'm still in Anchorage. So I'm scouting the Kenai mountains that next summer. I find, you know, a couple legal rams that, man, we can hunt these, but there's this one ram in the brooks we saw that was a ram of sheep hunters dreams. And it's like, we just, we couldn't get him out of our heads. And it's like, we have no idea if he's going to have made the winner. He's going to have made it. I mean, we, we shot our Brooks range Rams. It was either opening day or within a couple days. And it's like, did he make it through the rest of the hunting season, winter wolves, age, whatever. And he's got all this stacked against him. We got to go back though. I mean, he's this, this Ram is, we got to go see if he made it. So we put the mountain range goal on hold. For this one for ram. For this one ram. Well, let me ask you this. You guys are hiking in off of roads. Yep. How many people are you seeing in these mountain ranges? Like, are there other hunters also hiking in off of roads? Definitely. Okay. I mean, you, you see pickup trucks on the road. And if somebody's parked in the mount, off the side of the road in they're the mountains, hunting. they're sheep hunting if, if it's August and September. Right. So you definitely see those. There's main trailheads that trucks and cars will be at. Um but honestly, we haven't seen a lot of folks. Just, I, is this because it, the country is so vast and, and few people are hunting, or is it because you guys are going farther than most people are willing to I go? I think all the above. Okay. It, it's definitely vast. Um, mountains can, can bottleneck people, and maybe we've avoided some of those bottlenecks. Um, and maybe we're just, yeah, willing to work harder, go farther, cross more obstacles. Um, yeah. So any, anybody can do this, but it's legitimately hard. You know, when, when, uh, we get back from our hunt, Steve's got a computer program where he'll trace our route and, you know, over a topo map and it'll kick back elevation gains and miles you hiked and, you know, so we're able to plug in, you know, we did a side detour up to this saddle and looked over that way, or we went up this little drainage and then came back out. And so he plugs all that in and, you know, we're over a 10 day hunt. We're averaging 60 to 70 miles and over 35,000 vertical feet climbed. It's, it's a large effort yeah. <laughs> that we're, that we're putting into to, to find rams out there. So, so yeah, we go back to the brooks and, um, we hike, 
hike back in there. You know, now we're going to the same spot. This is kind of our one of our first years of we're going to familiar country because you saw we're this looking ram. for a specific ram. Yeah, the year before we haven't been back. It's too far for us to go scout yeah. the Brooks Range. Because, like you said, how far of a drive is this for me? Yeah, it's like fifteen hour drive. Yeah, so either you're either going all day and into the night, or you're breaking it up. And, exactly. Yeah. So we get back in there after you know, however long it took us and we find rams. They weren't in the same place that we'd found them and hunted them before, but they were relatively close and yeah, and it ended up being basically the same type of story, large group of rams. And we're like, all right, you know, a bunch of these are legal. The one ram's not here, but this ram's nice. That ram's nice. We're deciding which ones we want to try and get if we can make it all work. And I'm, I can still remember the wind was blowing. We're looking down this ridge from us and out from some rocky crags, that ram walks out. And it was just, oh my gosh, you know, there he is. That's that's what we came for. And I think maybe 10 hours later, we got him and another nice ram out of the bunch. Again, it was a bang, shift positions, bang, both rams down and mm. and we got that that ram we came for so what you're saying is go to the brooks range is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> the brooks range the was very good pitch. to us <laughs> yeah people always say what Shh, what's, what's your uh, favorite mountain range to hunt and it's like maybe the brooks by default you know yeah. i took three rams out of there but yeah they're all amazing and they all have stories i wouldn't trade anything so who shot the big ram that you went back for the target. I, it right? was my shot that year. How did you? Yeah. <laughs> you're so lucky. Steve's, both Steve's Rams that he got out of the Brooks were no slouches. Oh, okay. Not by a long shot. Okay. So, so how, how nice was this Ram? Was How he was, was he worth going back for? Yeah. He was 39, um, nine years old. Yeah. Awesome. Was just, just a great, great Ram. And just, he was one of those Rams though, that little tighter curl, uh -huh. but, his flares yeah. is it's what you dream of. Yeah. That's so cool. So, so yeah. So then, so then we got that done. Now it's back to the Kenai mountains. And at this point, you know, what, what we're doing and, and stuff Steve had, had wrote as far as our, our goal and people were hearing about what we were doing and, and just hearing, how inspiring it was to other folks um, really started to set in for me. We're, we're accomplishing something big here and we're getting close to the end. You know, I've, I've got three ranges left. Steve has two. And then scouting the Kenai mountains as much as I was able to, cause it's, it's close to Anchorage. Um, there's pockets of sheep. Everybody knows about them. I've heard that's one of the toughest ranges to pull. It a is. The ram weather from, right? is terrible. Yeah. You know, it's essentially coastal and yeah. So a lot, a lot of hunting pressure. And so we went in, we, we did a big hunt. We got on rams. We got on every ram in the area and they were all an inch shy of being legal. And we weren't, we weren't going to shoot rams on age. It was too tough, you know, you could sit there and count and you'd get seven, you'd get eight, but no way. 
Um, so yeah, we, we came out of that hunt, both of us with sheep tags in our pocket still. What, what year was that? That was 2010. And you started in? 2004. Four. So six, that'd be your seventh year, right? If you started in 04. Okay. So, so Steve, he's living in Southeast Alaska. So if, if it doesn't happen on his one trip, it's done. He's got to fly back and, you know, it's another plane ticket to come on sheep again. So explain that for most people. Southeast, Southeast Alaska is not sheep country, right? No, it, it, it's not, it's closer to Seattle (laughs) than it is, you know, to Anchorage in the mainland. Um, it's goat and deer country, black, black bear. Yeah. So, so yeah, he, he'd, you know, since 2008, you know, he was, he was flying up. We'd have our sheep week blocked and that's when we were doing our sheep hunt together. So when we, when we did not get rams out of the Kenai mountains, I was able to run and basically on a weekend, pull a ram out of the wrangles. It was a, again, a spot Steve had been to. We knew it typically held rams. And when I went in there, there was a legal ram and was able to get him out. So now I've got another mountain range done and, you know, but, but the Kenai mountains are still looming on us, but you know, we hunted an area where there were three or four rams that really close to legal. We know where we're going next year and we made it happen both doubled up in the Kenai mountains on opening day. And that was, that was amazing. So that's your third double up on one trip. Fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Oh, cause you did it twice in the Brooks range. Right. Alaska range, Brooks range. And then Kenai. Yep. Wow. So, so yeah, we, we doubled up and then, you know, I'd spent so much time up there keeping tabs on these rams, seeing where they move around to. Um, I'd hiked up in there with my wife and basically our one-year-old daughter at that point, you know, and, and had spent all this time up in this area in the Kenai mountains. And remember when we were, hi- when we were leaving it with those rams, it's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be coming back here. You know, it's, it was kind of a bittersweet, you know, it's, it's always a place that's there and I can, um, but yeah, it's, it kind of became this familiar place that I was always going to, I was always watching these Rams and just kind of sad to leave. Maybe someday I'll take my kids back, but it was, uh, yeah, it was bittersweet leaving there with, with those Rams. Um, so of course Steve had had the first shot in the Kenai Mountains. So the next year we're heading to the Talkeetnas. And it's my year to shoot first. Um but Steve all he's got left is the Talkeetnas. That's his last mountain range. And you've got what? Talkeetnas and what? I've got the Talkeetnas and the Chugach. Okay. Oh that's right cuz he drew the tag. Yep. So we covered again ridiculous miles trying to find sheep or trying to find rams and ended up towards the end of the hunt finding one legal ram. And I gave Steve the shot. I was like, hey, this is going to do it for you. And I, you know, I love his report that he wrote up on that, you know, accomplishing the seven mountain ranges, getting this ram out of the Talkeetnas. And that's the kind of friend Scott Luber is. It's like, yeah, you know, that's, 
you know, just, just that hunting for each other about as much as you're hunting for yourself is, is a, a friendship, a relationship, you know, a hunting partner relationship that I think is hard to find. So it was, there was a lot of joy from both of us getting that ram. Yeah. You know, it lives on his wall, but, mm. but we both shared in every aspect of it other than me pulling the trigger. Isn't it nice to be in a relationship where you kind of have that spirit of generosity, right? Like absolutely, you're just happy for each other, happy for whatever happens, happy for success, happy for the hard times and, and the hard yep. lessons learned or whatever. You know what I mean? Those are special ones for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So then, uh, we've got, so he's got it. He's, he's seven got, Rams, seven mountain ranges, all hiking from a road. He's got it done. Right. Yeah. And what this year was huge that? That was 11? 2000. 12. 12. Okay. Yep. 11 was, was that the Kenai? Correct. And then 12 was Talkinas. Okay, cool. And you've got one more. I've got two more. I've got my, I still, still need the Talkinas. Yeah. Gotcha. And then I also need the Chugach. So we're planning a mid-season epic hunt into the Chugach Mountains, which was a lot of fun because this was going to be the same area I was originally planning my very first sheep hunt until Steve said, hey, you need to go to this other area. So it's kind of like it's all coming back to the beginning for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're planning a late season hunt. Again, Steve is, has, you know, he's got his plane ride coming up. Opening weekend is looming on the horizon. And I'm like, I can't be at home opening day. So it's like, I'm going to go do a scouting trip into the Talkeetnas. I think I can run in here if I hike late and I'll be able to get up to somewhere, you know, where we'd seen rams and I'd be able to see them in the distance and kind of be like, all right, see what's here for next year. So I hiked in, hiked all, man, late into the night in a downpour. It was miserable, questioning myself, you know, as I'm halfway in there, like, what am I doing? This is, this is ridiculous. Get above the trees, get pushed back into the mountains in the dark set up camp and unzip the tent in the morning. And within a mile of me, there are several rams, two of which are legal. It's like, holy cow, today's opening day. I can make this happen. So you're thinking of it as a scouting trip. I'm thinking of a, of course I brought my rifle. Yeah. Okay. Right. But it's like, I'm, I'm here for two nights. There's, there's no way I'm getting a sheep. And then there they are. And they're right here. And I put, I put a great stock together. It's still raining. Um, but by the time the stock concluded, um, the, it had stopped raining. I'd been able to dry out. And so had the rams. And uh, yeah, I, sh- I shot my Talkeetna ram basically one, one night camping out. One day sheep hunt. Hiking. You're right. Basically. <laughs> So, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was, I was still miles in there yeah. and, and it was a long, hard pack out, but, uh, that was probably the easiest pack out I've ever done. You know, one, you haven't been in the mountains for seven, eight days living on mountain house and trail mix and jerky, you know? Yeah, so was, that's a whole nother subject, but just to be able yeah. to, yeah, just to be able to to be that fresh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you've worked hard all summer getting into shape and, you know, it was still a lot of miles, but it was, it was the easiest pack out I've done. Um, so now, you know, I remember driving out 
once I got to the truck and I get cell coverage and Steve's got this text on there, like you're taking too long. I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> so I was able to, you know, after I, after I called my wife, give him a shout and like, we got to change plans for when you get here. Cause my tags punched. Nice. But, uh, so yeah, now we have the Chugach mountains left and for you, for me. So we've got the same plan. We're going to go in here. And so now I've, I've got to figure out access into these mountains. And I remember just the dog and I went in for 4th of July weekend, get an extra day in there and earned those mountains. It was, it was legit getting back into them. And just remember the sense of awe of like, oh my gosh, this is, this is some country. This is big. This is formidable. This is legitimate sheep country like we haven't seen before. Like, wait, you've done six mountain ranges. Yeah. And you're saying and that Chugach was... And we've seen almost, some nasty country yeah. everywhere, but like all that, of this was nasty. That was... Okay. Yeah. It's like there's there's not going to be an easy... The most challenging... Climb. Are you up in the glacier country? Are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're... There's glaciers. Yeah. And... And so I, I told Steve that I was like, Steve, I, you, you're not going to appreciate it till you see it, but this is the real deal. And this is the part of the Chugaches that is not in the draw. It's not 14 C, right. right? So everything else is a draw permit. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a, a general harvest tag still. Okay. And it still is today. Yep. Okay. And so, so we, we've got our hunt planned. I've got the route in, I've got the route we don't want to take in. Um, so it was, it was some good scouting, figuring that out. And when we go on our hunt, you know, basically day one, set it up as the most epic hunt we've done. And from the mental tough game to the physical tough game, I mean, everything was, this is the hardest sheep hunt we've ever done. Saved the best for last, man. It it was wow. yeah. It 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 hands down was. Um it started with I mean so many of our sheep hunts have started with hiking in the rain. But you know, hiking in the rain to climbing canyon walls of thick brush and alders to climbing over glaciers in the you know now it's snowing and it's cold and you're, you're on these ice fields and oh my gosh, there's a plane wreck here. Like you're, <laughs> you know, just this, the mental taxation of, of the weather, the, these crazy mountains, we're traversing glaciers. We've been, we're soaked from climbing through, you know, these, this brush and, it's snowing on us and there's, you know, there's this plane wreck, like people died here or were injured here, you know? So you hike past that and you, you, now you're in, you know, a foot of snow and you're up in these mountains and you're just like, oh my gosh, what, what are we getting into? You know, is this, this is August, a, a winter hunt, uh, early September, early September. Okay. And you know, we pitch camp, the weather was horrible, it's blowing, it's snowing, and you know, I remember crawling in our tent and just like 
man, that was the hardest first day we've ever experienced. And I don't know if reward is the right an- right word, but we were rewarded with sitting in the tent for a day, you know, which, which was nice to rest up. But, you know, when you're out there, you hate to see a day trickle by. It happens. And you can't do anything. Right. But yeah, it, it definitely happens. So after, after that, the weather cleared. Um, we were down below snow line again at this point, And the clouds lifted and Steve was able to see, you know, what I'd tried to describe over the phone before of, this is big. This is legit. And it, uh, I think his word to describe it was, it, it's daunting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're looking at where you got to climb to. And they're not going to be easy routes. Are you talking like mountaineering skills, kind of daunting, like rope up, uh, that kind of stuff? Or are we just like maybe a notch below that? A notch below that. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've never had to rope up. Um, there might have been a couple points where it would have been wiser to. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. Are you packing crampons? We had, yeah, small crampons, like okay. instep crampons. Yeah. So, um, we see a couple rams and we're not, we hadn't seen much for sheep. Of course, you know, the weather had been bad, but, um, a couple sublegal rams. So we start covering ground like we do and you climb, climb up to this saddle and look down this drainage, climb over to the next saddle, look down this drainage and we're not seeing anything. And then it's, you know, we're, we're checking these drainages out. And there's nothing around. We're not seeing stuff on distant mountains or sides of mountains and ridges. And it's like, all right, we, we got to move. And so it's just this, what Steve described as the Scott Luber death march of basically heading, not necessarily new country, but we're going to put some miles on and go look somewhere else. And is this, okay, so at this point, are you feeling like the normal level of, we're intensity still, or are you like, is it ramped up? Like you are, this is the last one, right? Yeah. So, so you know go, what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, are you in no. sheep honey mode or are you in like overdrive? Like this is, there's, it. there's definitely overdrive and there'd yeah. been overdrive for a couple of years. Okay. You know, with, with the, I think that was the worst part of the goal was getting to the end mm. because then. Wait, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Like, like, okay, I've got two mountain ranges left. And Steve's got it wrapped up. I want to get it wrapped up. Now I'm starting to mentally pile on this pressure on myself. And that's not fun. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it takes away some of the joy of just being out there pursuing sheep, pursuing rams, um, because you have this need to get one more. And then I got that one. Now I've, I've only got one Ram left and, and I've done this mm-hmm. and I'm able to look back now and, you know, a couple of years of not getting Rams and look back at the effort and the miles and what we've, what we've done to be successful and the year round commitment and just, just all this hard work. And it's, it's right there, you know? So, so there's, there was a lot of pressure I was putting on just in my own, own mind. Um, and in a way that's good. It drives you. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was definitely taking away, you know, from early on to, to just spend this, this is what I'm going to go out and I'm going to sheep hunt. And this is, 
I'm just going to go do it. You know, now there's this whole other pressure of I'm about to accomplish something incredible. And yeah, whatever that personal pressure was definitely was a different mental game out there because you want to get it done. Um, so yeah, we, we put a bunch of miles on and after a couple climbs, we finally find Rams again, we spot a legal Ram and we are stoked. We are so excited. We've figured out where we think we can scale the mountain at. And it's, again, it's, it's rough country. So we're climbing this mountain and it just gets worse and worse the higher we get. And Steve is definitely um, more of a mountaineer and experienced than I am. So when we get into stuff like that, I'm, I'm leaning on his experience of, you know, you're, we're going to be safe doing this. It might be a little bit past my comfort zone. But if he can do it, I can do it. You know, we joke about, you know, we're like twins separated at birth and, you know, we're, we're so much alike and we, we think alike and, you know, but, but he's, he's definitely got an, got an edge on me with that. So, so we're climbing up through this stuff and it's, it's this gnarly route of crumbly rock and cliff type rocks, you know, and then, you know, you're, you're up against the edge of glaciers and snowfields and you're working along the edge of the snowfield and this ice bank is going up over you creating like this tunnel between you and the cliff you know next to you and it's just this this wild surreal climb to try and get to this ridge and and then at the top the kind of like the crux of that climb was skipping across the snowfield and didn't really dawn on us to just throw our cramp crampons on. Um, I think that would have only aided the mental game of taking those two steps. Uh, Steve was able to just, you know, dig one good toe hole and then another step and he's across. Uh, for me, that steep of an angle with the snowfield, I mean, it was literally almost vertical. Um, and yeah, no one like, if I slip, it's it's not good, and just well, like, what do you mean? Come on, yeah, what do you mean I'm, not good. Like, are you falling to your death, or are you just breaking some legs? I mean, you know, what it, it's what one is or it? the other. Yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna toboggan faster and faster, and yeah, what are you gonna hit next? Rocks. rocks. Yeah. So, and did you have ropes with you? We didn't. We had parachute cord. I mean, you sure. you could have done something with that. Um, but it was just kind of this. For for me, maybe a step of faith, maybe a, a just trusting. Um, you know, people have different comfort levels. You know, and and for me to to look at that one step I had to take, um, kind of what I, what I was able to accomplish or get over in my little bit of fear there was, it held for Steve. We've got the same boots. We weigh the same. It's going to hold for me. You know, and plus there's no going back down now. You know, it it was pretty gnarly in a few spots and um but yeah, I ended up ended up taking that step, getting across, we're on the ridge. We start working towards the end of the ridge where the ram was, and we peek off the other side and here's this other bunch of rams down below us. 
another nice big full curl. But now the weather's moving in and it's spitting snow again. So we're like, all right, let's let's pitch our tent right here. It's kind of a somewhat level spot and we'll wait this out for a few hours. You know, one hour turns into two hours, turns into it's really cold sitting on these rocks. All right, let's get the thermorests out. All right, let's get the sleeping bags out. And we were there for, it was the fourth day before we emerged, you know, and, and we went through blizzard storms. We went through pounding rain and wind. So describe like the location of this tent, just so we can visualize yep. it. Are you just on an outcropping? So or we are, are on a, we're like on top ridge? of a mountain. Okay. There's the peak is, I don't know, not even a hundred feet above us. Okay. And it's all rock. I mean, there, there isn't a scrap of twig brush anywhere. And we're basically in this little tight saddle. Um, and there's kind of a, a, it was, it was somewhat level, you know, just below the ridge of that saddle. And we're, we're socked in the clouds. I mean, you can't see 25 yards. And for the most part, it's snowing. The snow's piling up outside the tent. You're not sleeping well because, you know, we've got a three-season tent and snow's piling up on the side and we've having to shake snow off this thing every 30 minutes. Cause what kind of a tent is it? Uh, it's just an REI. It was their T3. Um, and we're just running the rain fly in the poles. Okay. So yeah. pretty, so pretty lightweight. Nope. Yeah. And, and yeah, so the first day goes by and then we're, you know, we have no idea how long this is going to take. And it's, it's the whole, I'm, for me, I'm going through this whole mental, like the whole gamut of emotions, you know, where I'm angry because the weather's not cooperating. We know Rams are right here. It stays like six, seven and eight. We're stuck in these tents and they're, those are the days you're supposed to be killing Rams so you can get back to the truck. You know, we've, we've got a 10 day hunt planned mm -hmm. and, and we've put all this energy, all this effort. We've done all these climbs. We've, we've done all this brush and bad weather. And it's like, we're here. And if this doesn't work out, we're gonna have to do all this again. And it's so, so I'm, I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm questioning, you know, why am I here and I'm not at home with my family? You know, I've got little kids and an amazing wife that lets me do this, but it's like just just yeah, this this emotional gamut and and trying to overcome that with I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad to be doing this, you know, but this weather and you know, it's just weighing on us. You 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 can only stare at the inside of the tent so long before you start feeling like you're gonna go crazy. And we're trying to stretch our food. You know, we're sharing a mountain house at night. Um, we're having a one granola bar during the day, trying to like save food to where maybe we can extend this hunt. And so finally on day nine, the weather clears. Uh, we get out of the tent. Wait, how many days did you spend in the tent? So it was day six when we went in. Okay. Yeah. So it was the fourth day. Fourth day. When we, we pulled out of there. And this is like a two man tent. Yeah. Two or three? It's a three-man three tent. Man. Yep. So two in gear and... It's exactly. It's it's really nice for two guys. Cool. But uh, but yeah, it was... We were not sad to leave 
there. It was we were done with that spot. How much snow had dumped in that three days? I don't know. It it had it, blown. it had well, it had warmed up and okay. poured rain and melted all the snow and then brought it all back, you know. So gotcha. when we rolled out of there, there was probably only four inches or so on the ground. Um but we hike over the ridge and you know, and the snow's just on top now. It's all melted off and we start looking around for this ram that's supposed to be at the end of the ridge. Everything, the other rams were gone. Um, we're looking around for this ram and I mean, you can tell he had been there and he had weathered the storm just like we had in this spot, you know, and all this fresh sign from him and like, this is where his bed was. I mean, we were scouring the place and, but he's not there, you know, and we're, we're back and forth on this mountain at different elevations, trying to find him, trying to see everything. What's your like thought process at this point? I am starting to think of like, all right, where are we going next? We have a day and a half, you know, and then we got to bust it to the truck. You know, the wives are going to start worrying if we're not back in a couple days. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of where are we going next? What is our, how are we going to get to these areas? You know, as, as I've, you know, we've looked at the maps for all these days. How are we going to get to these areas most efficiently so that we have time to hunt if the rams are there? And I mean, that's, that's everything. If we got to pull out, we got to move. And for me and for Steve, you know, it, our faith and walking with God is, is a big part of our hunts out there. And, and, and this, it's a, it's a crucial part of this story for us where we're cruising back and forth. We're both thinking we got to start covering ground fast. And all I keep hearing in my head is sit and wait, sit and wait, just sit down and wait. And I don't even want to hear it. I'm like, that's not what we're supposed to do. You know, that's, if we're going to find Rams, we got to cover ground. And finally, I was like, all right, Steve, I think God's saying, sit and wait. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So we sit down, we pull out our snacks, and we're, we're eating our snacks, and bam. It wasn't within 30 minutes. Across the valley, there's this big full curl standing there. And we, you know, we picked him out of, of wherever he was, and... It was like, sweet. You know, if we'd have just busted off hiking somewhere, we'd have never seen that guy. So we pack up and we bail off that mountain and we're across this river, um, deep river, swift flowing. It was, it was a hairy crossing. Climb up this other side of this mountain and we are busting out this awesome stock on this ram. And it, we get, we get, what was that, like 430 yards from him. And he'd been working the direction we were at all day. So, so it's like, all right, all we got to do is sit and wait. And he's going to work his way towards us. For whatever reason, he starts fiddling around and going back a little bit the other way. Well, we start worrying that he's going to go back. It's getting late now in this evening. Um, we're running out of daylight, so we decided, all right, we're going to push it. We'll get to this point and try and get above him. 
we'll be able to find him. He's kind of on the backside of this little ridge now. And we start cutting through this drainage to go up above him. And the next thing we know, he's at like 40 yards, right where we were hoping he'd come to, where we could shoot him. But now we're too close, and he's 40 yards away looking at us. Ah, we are done. He takes off running. So we run up, and and I threw a couple rounds at him, you know, as he went up, up the mountain, and it was done. And it was like the lowest of low points we've ever experienced, you know, on a, on a hunt together. So you missed. Oh, I missed. Yeah. Yeah. No, like no offhand, question. offhand running shot, or did you throw your pack down, or what? Uh, I, I was. Do you remember? Yeah, I was I mean, mostly you know. prone. I mean, you're shooting uphill, but yeah, you know, I was resting on a rock and. Gotcha. You know, we hike up on top of the ridge. Of course, he's he's probably miles away. Looked around a little bit for him and set up our tent, and it was just this whole night of why did we do that, and what if we'd have done this, and you just. You know, there's nothing else to it. We screwed up. And we don't screw up much. And it was it was a it was a hard pill to swallow. Kept us awake all night. Um and yeah, so that's that's day nine. We wake up day ten. This is a, a planned ten day hunt. Um you know, pushing it an extra day is gonna be fine, but it's time to head home. So it's like this you know, we've got over 20 miles of a walk of shame and, you know, it just had sucked a lot of enthusiasm out of us. So we start hiking out and we get a couple few miles down, down the ridge line, And all of a sudden there's a group of rams down below us and a couple look legal. So like, all right. Let's hunt these sheep, and if we can get one, let's do it right. And we'll, you know, we, we said hope, hope may not be lost. And we went back into our old game of being patient, and we spent that whole day following these rams and getting to a point where we could finally, you know, when they bedded down, we got to a point where we've got a legal ram and I can make that shot. Let can we stop for just yep. a second? Just because it's it's kind of one point that I find interesting for a lot of people who don't maybe don't do a lot of spot and stock hunting or learning in different game animals or different different situations are different. But there's a lot to be said for being patient and like waiting for the right stock to present itself. You know what I mean? It's like, I think a lot of guys, they see an animal and they're like, yep, I'm happy with that animal. And it's like off to the races, you know, and that can work like being super aggressive at times, like undoubtedly is, can be successful, very successful for Right. But there's also like, when you, when you get to this point where you have a really good feel and understanding a lot of experience spot and stock hunting, there's something kind of like, um, savory, about letting a stock ma- something materialize. That's like right. Waiting yep. for something for these different conditions to kind of align and being patient. And sometimes it takes days. Like, yep. it's nice when it takes hours or a day, but no, it, sometimes it, it takes more than one day 
and if you can be patient and the animal's not going anywhere and there's not a lot of pressure and it's not spooked and allowing kind of these different variables to line up until exactly. all of a sudden this perfect, ex- this perfect, perfect stockable scenario now exists that did not exist at any point before right. that time. Like that's a really beautiful I've, thing. Yeah. And I've, I've described it as like the stock develops. Right. I mean, you, you can sit on one side of a valley, you know, when you're sheep hunting and like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to head up this drainage. I'm going to cross over this part here. I'll get around those rocks and then I should be in position, you know, but once you get going, I mean, there's contours in the mountain that oh, change. Man. Changes sheep, so much. The animals may move a little bit. Right. You know, so it's, as you're going, I mean, yeah, the stock develops mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you got to be aggressive and you've got to hustle and other times you've got to sit and it, you might sit for hours mm-hmm. and, but yeah, you're just, yeah, I love it. You're savoring, you're savoring that moment. You're savoring the stock. You're letting everything develop and, and then it all comes together. And I think that the, one of the telltale sounds signs of an experienced spot in stock hunter is when they know, like the instinct, like when the moment arrives, they know it's time to go. And when it's not time, you know, when yep. that moment has not arrived, they're a hundred percent content to wait, you know? I, I really, I, like, I just think that's such a fun aspect of hunting. It's a subtle, subtle part of it. For sure. Yeah, anyway. So we've got embedded. We're, we're in a spot and it is, it's still like that moment of, I just shot my seventh ram. And, you know, he's, he's there. All we have to do is walk to him. And just that that elation. And it was almost like you couldn't have scripted it more for me. You couldn't have. What was that shot I, like? Just to back up a little bit. Um, like, cause you're looking at this last round through your scope before that's done. Yeah. Like, what was that moment like? There was, there was some of the, you know, if you, if you let yourself, get overtaken by the emotion, you're never going to make the shot because right. it's too exciting, you know, to, so, so to feel that excitement rise up in you and then to, you know, I have to shut that down. You know, it can't be here. And yeah, it, it was calm, you know, and, but yeah, it was, it was more, you know, the, the Rams down and you, you know, he was across a Canyon. So we had a pretty good hike to go get him cause we had to drop down and climb back up. But, um, but just to have, just to have gone through that hunt where the hardest first day we've ever done these incredible, harsh, unforgiving mountains and all the climbing we had done waiting out this ridiculous storm to, you know, blowing the stock on this ram that we felt like was gifted to us right after the the storm. And just that going from that lowest low to, I just killed my seventh range ram. And just, it was surreal. It was, it wasn't as, you know, I've, sometimes you give that primal yell or whatever, you know, just pump, um, it was more contemplative, you know, more just I'm super grateful 
And yeah, he's a special ram. So, and then, and then, you know, to, to hike down and, and unload our packs and set up our camp because we we're going to be coming back way after dark and then to climb up and have that ram and to, you know, every sheep hunter knows that smell of a ram and the feel of those horns. And it's, I mean, everybody that has a passion, whether it's for elk or for deer or for bears, um, you know, there's, there's that moment when you have that animal in your hands and everything that, that you put into getting that sheep, you know, and then on top of that for us, you know, this, this goal that I just accomplished, I mean, it was, it was amazing. I'm getting excited about sheep hunting, man. <laughs> okay. Is anybody else jumped in on this thing? Has anybody like started this? It's like raise their hand and be like, Hey, I'm working on this too. So in order What's going to, on? to get there, I feel like I got to throw my plug in. Please do. You have a so, plug. Yeah. So we it. kind of in the middle of this whole mountain ranges thing, we started filming our hunts and found out we can tell a pretty good story with the video camera. We've always said from the beginning, we're not professionals. I mean, our, there's guys that are filming and doing artistic stuff and capturing moments of hunts that I don't think I could ever do. Um, yeah, but they're not all doing it in Alaska. True. On doll sheep, right? So, but anyway, so, you're doing so this. Yeah, so, yeah, so, but we feel like we can tell a good story. Yeah. And, and uh, people seem, you know, people seem to really appreciate. So anyways, we, create, we created these videos we created the do-it-yourself, how to doll sheep hunt Alaska. It was the first video we came out with. We wanted to, I mean, we're, we were still in um, accomplishing this goal. We hadn't completed it yet when we, when we put that video out, but just the impact that sheep hunting had had on our lives and developing us as to who we are as men and who we were going to be for our families um, and our own character and, and everything that there's more about hunting than just killing animals. Um, it's like, it's had such an impact on us. How can we give back to the sheep hunting community? So we created Lace Em Up and, you know, a big emphasis on how to judge legal rams and, you know, all these tips and tricks. I mean, it's, it's everything you need to know about how to backcountry hunt Alaska in the mountains for doll sheep. And to show people what's possible that you can do with just your boots in a backpack. Um, it, and then to, to put that out there and be like, all right, this is kind of cool. And then to see how accepted it was and how much people appreciate the, how we were filming our hunts. And, you know, there wasn't any, any fluff in there of, you know, we're not pushing any gear and, or, or anything. It was just simply sheep hunting without all the distractions. And, um, yeah, so people love it. People were really getting inspired by our story. Uh, so we made a few more videos that are all just sheep hunting and it's, it's all like just going sheep hunting with Scott and Steve or, um, with me and my wife. And, and it's just, it's really enjoyable. Um, but yeah, so, so as, as we've done these videos, you know, and we've done 
um, whether it's seminars or a booth at, you know, our booths at the sportsman shows, um, get to talk to all these people and, and encourage them and, and then to have them come up and, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this now, you know, and you guys have inspired me. I'm, I'm going to go do the mountain ranges thing. And, um, and I hope they can do it, you know, cause it was a great journey, bunch of adventures and whether, whether people accomplish it or not, just, I mean, that, that inspiration we've given folks to go out and enjoy the backcountry and to embrace the risk and the adventure and the ethics that is dull sheep hunting. Um, that's a huge success. And then also, you know, especially with how to judge legal rams, to hear those stories of people passing on sublegal rams and coming out of the mountains flat out proud of themselves for having done the hunt right. And, and they were able to do that because they'd seen our videos or they'd heard our story. And I just absolutely love that. Love it, man. So where, okay. What's it called? What is What is your production company called? Uh, Proving Trail Adventures. Proving, P-R-O-V-I-N-G. Yep. Proving Pro- Trail Adventures. Yep. And where can people find ProvingTrailAdventures.com is our website. Okay. Are you streaming videos or are you shipping DVDs? What do you got? Uh, they, you can, you can find like our trailers, um, on YouTube or on our website. We've, we've got them up there, but no, all the videos are for purchase and, and we got four videos now. Okay. So we have lace them up, which is the do it yourself instructional guide. And then we have the, it's all natural series, which it's three videos. Um, volume one, two, and three, and it's just just more sheep hunting with us. Cool. Do they ship together or you buy them separate? Either or. How much are you selling them for? Lace them up is thirty four ninety five, and then each of the it's all natural are nineteen ninety nine. Okay, so twenty bucks, and then yep. the lace them up the sh- how to judge doll sheep in Alaska thirty five bucks is going to save you how much pain and hardship if you make a mistake on the mountain and shoot a sub legal. Um. I mean, so, so can you quantify that? <laughs> what we've said is it's, it's like, it's our, our 10, 11 years of doll sheep yeah. hunting condensed for you to learn from. I mean, again, it, it took us years of, I'm never using this piece of gear again. Um, I'm not buying $150 boots anymore. Yeah all these trials and errors. Oh, so this is like how to judge sheep and it's, gear and it's everything. Everything. Okay. Yep. So Food, this is gear, like clothing. I mean, this there, is, there isn't a part of backcountry hunting. We don't cover in that. So if somebody wants to come up and do a caribou hunt or a moose hunt or a sick blacktail hunt or something like that, even though that's geared towards sheep hunting, they could still grab it. They could still pull all the gear tips, all the how to how to do the backpack thing tips, and apply it. Would that absolutely? Apply I've had guys from here in Washington State email me and say, "I'm not going to sheep hunt, but man, this is going to help me on my mule deer hunt." Cool. Yeah. So there, there's a resource. Thirty five bucks. Cut the learning curve. Yep. Get on the mountain. Do it right. Awesome. I want to hear what your opinion is. What's the best thing for someone who's never been to Alaska for to come up and hunt? Okay, I'll say there's there's two options. The first is southeast deer hunting. Okay. 
Okay, it's it's alpine. If you go in August, the deer are up high, the bucks are up high, especially. And and you're doing that pretty soon, right? Yeah, we leave middle of August here. Sweet for a. Hopefully, it'll be a multi-hunt trip. You know, we got a we got like, a little over a week planned. Like deer, bear is that what you mean by multi-hunt or um, multiple no, species? No, multi. Or? So. So we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna hunt Prince of Wales Island from the road system. Okay. A multi-hunt meaning hike up into the Alpine, harvest some bucks, get back and go do it again. That'd be gotcha. Two hunts, maybe if so we can do two or three. So you're hauling meat down, and then you're just gonna turn around and head right back up again. Maybe a, maybe a new spot, but maybe for not. sure a new spot. Okay, for sure a new We've spot. We've got that bug. Got to go. Yeah. Got to go new see country. the new places. Yep. So, but yeah, that is, I mean, it's, it's literally like a sheep hunt that anybody can do. Um, it's nice. The animals are a little smaller, so they're not as hard of a pack out. Um, but getting up, I mean, you can get up in the rocks, you can get up in, I mean, you're at the, you're at the top of mountains. It's, it is so much like sheep hunting. You can have the mobile camp, you can be moving, but the beauty of it is there's going to be lots of bucks around. And every single one of them is legal. Yeah. So you don't have that pressure of, you know, is this a full curl ram? It's which buck do I want to shoot? Let me ask you this. Someone coming up for the first time, should they buy more than one buck tag or deer tag? Depending on where you're going, yes or no. I mean, if, if, if you're really trying to keep it on a tight budget and you get to somewhere like Prince of Wales, you can run up shoot a buck on your one tag, come back down. There's places you can go and get another tag. But if you're going to a place like Kodiak where it's a lot more remote, you're going to be removed maybe from a via boat or a airplane ride somewhere. Um, definitely take multiple tags. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I would, I would kind of say the other way I would go the other way. I would say, and this is my point of view, and I've given this advice to people before. Go up there and just grab it one deer tag. Like, do you need to shoot more than one buck? Because as soon as you start processing and you're kind of in limbo, you're not going to drive home once you like take the ferry and drive right. home, or you're not going to fly back to Anchorage and you're going to be home. Like, you're going to be in limbo, so you're going to be at like a hotel or something like that. Then you got meat processing. Then you got to get meat home. You got a little bit of trophy care. You got some capes and stuff. It's like. You start adding animals and it starts adding to the complexity, but does it increase the happiness level? Does it, you know, and so, yeah, right. I, I don't think there's a right answer, but yeah, my point of view is just like, Hey, if it's your first trip, you're going to have an incredible experience shooting one deer. Awesome experience. It's going to keep the logistics simple. And when next time you come back up, you're going to be, you can shoot three deer. You can shoot, you know, you can get a caribou tag, a moose tag, whatever you can, inc- you, you know, you can comfortably increase the complexity of the right. logistics involved. But anyway, so it's cool. But you're just saying, Hey, shoot two deer, hey, shoot three if deer. If you're out there yeah. and you kill a deer on day two of your 10 day hunt. That's true. Be pretty nice to have another tag in your That's pocket true. for the next eight days. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Or you but could go fishing. For sure. <laughs> Good fishing in Alaska. All right. So that's yeah, option. That's uh, option one. Option one. Okay. The other would be caribou hunting. Okay. Um, caribou, you know, there's ample opportunity off the the Hall Road way up in northern Alaska. There's some draw tags that 
um, or harvest tags that will allow you to hunt caribou in the mountains. That's cool. You know, early season, um, bulls are often up with the sheep or higher than the sheep. Remember one scouting trip sitting there and watching this ram midway on a mountain and about, I don't know, several hundred feet below him was a grizzly bear and clear up at the top of the mountain was the caribou. That's awesome. It was all like in this vertical line, caribou higher than the sheep. So you can definitely hunt caribou in sheep country and see, see both animals. Man, that's cool. And that is, obviously you could fly out and do something like that. Yep. But that is accessible from the Hall Road or Dalton Highway. For sure. Um, and Okay, just so people understand, like, how much hiking do you need to do? You went in three days on this one sheep hunt, like, realistically speaking, to do a caribou hunt. Like, how much hiking should you expect to get into some good hunting? Well, if you're on the Hall Road, you got to hike five miles. you got to hike five miles if you're going to rifle hunt. If you're going to rifle hunt. You can hunt. And it's, it's a... It's a mentally tasking hike. Um, In what way? So the terrain up there is tussocks. And unless you've experienced tussocks, you can't. Nobody can understand them until they're walking in them. And it's just. how Okay. How could you best describe it? It is clumps of grass that are probably knee high that are just. I don't know. I, I would say they're, they're a good dinner plate around or a platter as far as width goes. Knee high and they're spread out just enough where you can get your foot in or around them. And it's just endless sea of these little pillar tusks of grass, tussocks. And it doesn't sound that you bad. You can't walk on top of them. <laughs> You've got to weave your way through them. Uh, they're a pain. They are a pain, but they get, they're easier. I mean, the first time I did the Hall Road trip, it was unreal how hard that hiking was. But after doing it half a dozen times now, I look forward to the next time. If you wanted to practice like back home and recreate something kind of similar to just getting used to it, what would you do? Like what would you recommend? For tussocks or just? Yeah, tussocks. Find a swamp. I mean, something that they're like, it's almost like the ground moves. So yeah. walk on basketballs. I don't know. That's a great example. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like that. It's like nowhere you can like all like a room full of basketballs and they all kind of touch. And so I like you it. stand on it, you're going to roll off. You stand between them, you're pinched or you're, you're, yeah, it's weird. That's it's a weird. great example. Okay. But doable, but like, we're not trying to dissuade anyone. This is totally no. doable. If you're in reasonable shape, if you've done, let's, let's, Let's talk we've, about this. We've taken 10, quick. 11 year old kids out yeah. there. They've done it. People can do it. Yeah. It's all, how much is mental? How much is physical? It's a little of both, but it, it's a mental game. You know, it's, it's a mental game to just keep hiking, even if the terrain's easy. You yeah. Know? And if, if you're hung up on, I can't go five miles, you're, you're not going to go five miles. But if, if it's, if it's, you're, you're just going to do it and this is what has to be done. And you just keep on that. I'm, I'm going to do it. You'll, you'll make it. Yeah. You know, and it's the same way with packing out those heavy loads. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a physical beat, but it, it's a mental game. And if you can overcome the mental game, you've got it. Whoop. 
once, like for me, it's experience. So like, that's why I think, I, I think you're right on like a sick of black tail hunt's a perfect first hunt. Caribou hunt. It's not a moose. It's bigger than a deer, right? It's accessible. And it's, it's unique. You're and not, it's, and it's an iconic Montana. It's or an Idaho. Icon, yeah. It's an iconic Northern game right. animal for sure. Which Sitka is a subspecies of deer. We all hunt deer, right? Right. It is. I, I'm not giving up on that one yet. I think Sitka on Kodiak is like a cool, cool hunt. Uh, but anyway, in Southeast, I haven't done it yet. Um, love to do that Alpine thing, but I, I totally am with you on what you're recommending and agree with you. And people can do this. Um, one, one interesting thing that I'm curious about is like, you got family back in Nebraska. Have you had, uh, so your brother, you said came up and helped with that first doll sheep hunt. Have right. you had any other family members come up and, and do an Alaska hunt? Like the perspective of, a Midwestern whitetail hunter going to Alaska is different from like a Western States, big, like backpacking big game hunter. That's used to going into the mountains for mule deer and elk. That's, that's a very different back hunting background for that Midwestern whitetail hunter. How does that person translate? I mean, obviously it depends on the individual, but what's that experience? How does that experience translate to Alaska? Have you seen it? Have you had family so members up? My or? dad's the only one that's come up and actually done a hunt where he hunted, you know, my brother did, did the sheep hunt with me. Mm-hmm. My dad hunted Kodiak with me and my father-in-law. Um, and that was a, a great experience, but it's, it's not, it's not that. It was a pretty plush camp. You know, it, it was, it was a different, it was the drop camp style hunting. Okay. Alaska. It wasn't backpack style. Yeah. Um, but I, I think have, those are fun though, man. They, so, they are a just blast for that it's, flight. It's relaxing. Yeah. And Oh man, that, those flights, like who did you fly with? Uh, Seahawk air. See, I love Roland. Yep. He's the man and He's, Joe runs the office. So Seahawk air operates out of Kodiak, Alaska. They fly the whole Island. Super cool. You're in a De Havilland, De Havilland beaver on floats and uh, just good, good people, right? Right. And that flight is worth the whole trip. Y- yeah. It's so cool. Seeing Alaska from the air is amazing. Well, and Kodiak's special, man. Flying over Kodiak is cool. I mean, Alaska's cool. Right. Maybe it's just my own personal affinity, love for Kodiak Island. But yes, very cool. And so your dad did that. You we, guys did a drop camp Sitka Blacktail hunt? Yeah, we did. Got him a nice buck. He bought one buck tag. Yeah. Was he okay? Did he regret buying one? Not at all. There you go, man. No, keep it simple. So yeah, and then yeah, we we had a great trip. Got some nice bucks and cool. What time of year did you go? End of October. Okay, maybe a couple days into November. Was there some rutting activity? It's it's right a little pre rut, right on the cusp of it starting. Yeah. Okay. So bucks are definitely looking for some does, sniffing around a little bit. Cool. What about bears? Was there bear activity or were they starting to den up? Use, we, we would see bears basically every day. Yeah. But I mean, you, you definitely are keeping them in mind and keeping an eye on them and avoiding them and giving them their space. But you know, the more you're, the more you're in Alaska, the more you're around bears, you realize not every bear is going to maul you. Yeah. I mean, I, when I moved to Alaska, First thing I did was read 
Alaska bear tails and it's like it's like it's kind like of ev- the worst thing you could everybody's do. Everybody's going in the woods. Yeah. All the bears are out there and everybody's getting mauled and that's just that's what you do. That's what, what happens. happens. Yeah. So, so I was a little freaked out of bears. You know, I can remember laying in a tent um doing a fall weekend hunt with Steve for black bears and we'd seen this grizzly go up and over the mountain and laying in the tent that night waking up cuz a leaf fell on the tent and rolled down the side and I thought a bear was scratching into the tent. You know, that was my wake up. That was the sound that your mind freak heard. out, you yeah. know, just for a moment and then go back to sleep. But yeah, I, I was, I was pretty well worried those early years and, and hunting Kodiak. I mean, that was a big pivotal moment of being around bears a lot yeah. and they give you your space and you give them theirs and and if they don't give you your space, that's kind of never where, experience that. <laughs> that's where it gets interesting. Um, so if ha- you want a if you want a bear story, okay, you got one. So Steve and I were hiking into to the mountains to sheep hunt. We were camped on this riverbank, and Steve has he's been a biologist now in southeast Alaska, so he's well accustomed to bears and. Camping on this little flat, the only flat part we could find of gravel and wake up about five in the morning because we're here. I'm, I'm hearing this noise, but I haven't fully woken awake. Um, and then Steve starts whacking me on my legs. Hey, there's a bear outside our tent. So of course that snaps me awake. And I realized that noise I was hearing was the bear huffing and growling as he's sitting on the bank three feet above our tent. So, you know, Steve's just all nonchalant about it. Like, hey, let's sit up and listen to this bear. And I'm like, hey, bear, get out of here. And start making some noise. And he huffs and takes off. And we watch him go down the bank. It was a big grizzly boar. And then we get out of the tent. And you can go walk over in the gravel and see where he was coming down the gravel bank. And seven yards from our tent, walked up on the bank and was sitting there right above our tent. Yeah, Steve didn't think it was a big deal. I, uh, you know, here's the thing: bears aren't as scary as everybody makes them out to be. Right. Until they're scary, then it's serious. Yeah. So it's kind of this thing where it's like, how do you give advice on bears unless you've spent a lot of time around them? I've spent some time around them. Not. I mean, there's a lot of guys who have got a lot more experience than I do around bears. Um, but my first hunt in Kodiak or my first hunt in Alaska was on Kodiak, was a brown bear hunt on Kodiak, you know, and I did that for five years. And then I did some guiding brown bear guiding in the fall as well out of Yakutat and then on the peninsula. And, um, so I've been around bears, right. And like, I want to calm people's fears and say, bears aren't that big of a deal. You just have to respect them and hope they respect you until they don't respect you. And then it's a big deal. And so how do you, you know what I mean? It's like, and then the stakes are pretty high, you know, if there is an issue and, um, yeah, I mean, we don't need to get, I won't get into it now, but I've seen some things and I still, I'm not afraid of bears and they, they still deserve respect and they're not scary, but they are bears. Like they're true to their nature and they're unpredictable. And I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to give advice about bears 
you know, to someone who doesn't have any experience around bears, because then it's like they could take your advice and I'm coming across, you know, I would want to come across as being fairly nonchalant about bears. But at the same time, I kind of, you know, I've, I've learned through experience what to do and how to tell right when a, it's serious. Like I, you know, looking at a bear and I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm an expert in this. I'm not saying that I couldn't be wrong, but I'm saying like, I can look at a bear and I can tell you if there is potential for an issue or not. You know, I feel comfortable doing that and confident. And, um, but, had, but if someone is going up, you know, and they don't have that experience, they don't have in that perspective. It's like, what do you tell them? Well, you kind of should be afraid be of bears, cautious. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like be a little bit more than respectful. Like just stay, stay away, but don't be afraid is what I want to say. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Enough with bears. Okay. So sick of blacktail and caribou, two good hunts for a first timer to land in Alaska and the Midwestern thing. So your dad came from Nebraska. Yep. Whitetail hunter, like through That's and through on the family farm. Done. Yeah. Had a blast on Kodiak. Right. Cool. And is he going to come back? Or or was that like, no, I, I don't know. Um, like he had a good time and that's all he needed. Cause that's okay too. He's, he's, he's come back and gone caribou hunting with us, not buying a tag. Gotcha. You know, just come be a part of this. Yeah. You don't have to spend the money on a tag, but yeah. Be there when we shoot some caribou and so, and he, he absolutely loves it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, anyone who, let's say someone has says like, Hey, I want to do this Alaska thing. Kind of getting excited hearing stories about it. You guys are saying it's doable and it is, it's totally doable right? for anybody. I don't like, I don't care how much money you make. Like if you save for a couple of years and made it a priority, you could make a hunting trip to Alaska possible. It's not, you know, it's not that much more for a basic like sick of blacktail hunt than an elk hunt in Colorado or sure. Idaho or whatever. Right. It's yep. really not. And there's some tips and tricks, whatnot. But if somebody has to make some sacrifice to make a hunting trip, like a, their first adventure in Alaska possible, is there like, would they regret, regret it? Is there anything regrettable about it? Is it, is there any scenario where they'd come up and be like, Oh man, that I shouldn't have done that. It was, you know, like, is, have you seen anything where it's like, you've seen people, I don't think so. I mean, upset if, about making it happen. So a hunt in Alaska can be as expensive as you want it to be. It can be a full blown guided hunt. It can be a drop camp hunt where, you know, you're hiring an outfitter to take care of camp and the, a lot of the supplies, the gear that you need out there. Um, or it can be you're getting a rental car and doing it on the lowest budget possible. You're going to drive somewhere. You're going to hike in. Um, so, so yeah, so the cost can be, can be whatever you want. And, and then the either way, I mean, if, if you're going to drive somewhere to hunt, if you're going to get a, a charter to fly you in somewhere, you're going to see Alaska. And, and once you're in it, I mean, even if you're, hiking two miles off the hall road to bow hunt in isolation, which you basically will be, or if you're going to hike, hike five miles, um, or if you're going to hike into the Brooks range and hunt caribou, do a float trip. Um, any of that, you will not be disappointed. Alaska is going to blow you away. I can't see in my mind, like the worst Alaska trip possible 
but you get to see Alaska. Like I just don't see, it. of course it's expectations. It starts with expectations. Right. If you think you're going to get sunny weather every day and there's going to be a 60 inch bull moose behind every bush. Yeah. Right. If that's all you're basing your, you know, that's your criteria for happiness or for, for having a great You'll probably trip, be you're going to be disappointed. But if mm-hmm. you want to experience Alaska and this is a dream that you're not really sure how to do, or if it's possible or when you might be able to do it, it's like, just plan the dang thing. Script, to like like save a couple thousand bucks get get up here do it make it happen just even if it's on the cheap see it go you and will, make it happen you will yep. not be disappointed and you're gonna be back like i could just see like so many people coming the first time and be like oh my gosh i'm coming back i'm gonna come back and do this i'm gonna do that i want to see this i want to see that you know i want to bring my friend i want to bring my dad i want to bring my kids it's like it's amazing yeah all right Scott, thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. You're welcome. Thanks for coming down. Oh, man, it's Making this possible. (laughs) This is Alaska DIY. Alaska DIY. (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Alaska DIY. If you are interested in the show notes, or if you want to get notifications via the email so you don't miss another episode... I'm going to send you to my website. But before you go there, no, I just want to be completely upfront and honest with you. I started Alaska DIY to help some buddies back home who have always dreamed of hunting Alaska, but just did not know where to start planning their hunt. So I thought, hey, I can do something about this. And I created this guide called the Kodiak Sitka Blacktail Guide. It's my first product that I put out. I am charging money for it. It is for sale. But here's the deal. I believe in providing way more value than what I ask for in return. So check out the guide. It's a hundred bucks. Or I just recently included a new payment option where for $10 a month for a year, so it's 120 bucks, you pay a little bit more. It's the, it's the price of a good six pack of IPA. You know, 10 bucks a month, you can get that guide. And of course, there's a full refund, infinity money back guarantee, like all that kind of, like I'm not going to take your money if you're not happy with it. So check it out if you want to. Okay, but this is not a sales pitch. I don't want to I don't want you to think that I'm pitching you on this. This is if you're interested. If this is a dream that you've ever had and and you're interested in a written how-to guide with links and phone numbers of services and products and all the things that you need from one end to the other, even if you've never planned an out-of-state hunt before, it's all in there. If you're interested in that, then you're welcome to go check it out. Okay. But I just want to let you know that I'm going to send you to the website in order to get the show notes, and I don't want you to be like, oh, this guy's so sleazy. You know, he's sending, it's like the backdoor sales thing where it's like you tease me with show notes and then you just slam me with the sales pitch. Okay, it's not like that. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just all on one website. So if you're not interested in that, ignore the webpage that says buy now or get a sneak peek. Don't don't look at any of that. Go to huntalaskadiy.com. Huntalaska diy.com go there go to the upper right hand corner click on podcast okay that's going to take you to the podcast page where you can stream the episodes and you can get show notes with links of things that we talk about on there now if you want to get an email notification so you don't miss any future episodes of alaska diy you can click on the upper right hand corner where it says what does it say i wrote it subscribe it says subscribe click there you can punch in your name and email 
and I'll send you uh, a notification every time I'm releasing a new episode so you don't miss one. Now, I will send you an occasional email mainly about stuff I'm learning while in the field, tips or tricks that might help you out when you come up to Alaskan hunt, some potential gear reviews, or maybe less formal than a review, but just stuff I'm trying out and like, hey, this worked really awesome for me. I recommend it if you're coming up here and hunting in these type of circumstances. So if you want more information about Alaska, occasionally, remember I'm in the field about seven months out of the year, you can subscribe to that newsletter as well as get the notifications when the podcasts drop. Okay, so upper right-hand corner podcast, click there for show notes. Upper right-hand corner, subscribe, click there for occasional email plus notifications of, on when new podcasts drop. And then if you don't want to be sold nothing, you know, you're, you've been warned. So just don't look at the main page where it talks about the Kodiak Sika Blacktail Guide, how cool it is, how easy it is to use it, and how awesome the money-back guarantee really... Actually, it doesn't say that at all. It just says, like money-back guarantee, I think. If you have any questions, you can always email me at abe, A-B-E, at huntalaskadiy.com. Okay, I have a ton of fun recording these podcasts and getting them out there for you folks just to share it with you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I hope it's been helpful in some way or at the very least mildly entertaining for you and made your morning or evening commute go by just a little bit quicker. Just one more thing before I turn this contraption off. When my children were approaching hunting age, I knew that I wanted to teach them about the tenderness of hunting. There's always been a moment right after I kill an animal that is overwhelmingly conflicting. When I kneel next to an animal that died at my hands, I experience elation, joy, and gratitude as well as love and sorrow. In an effort to mark this tender moment, I began a very simple family tradition. Now when we take an animal's life, the killer kneels and places a hand on the dead animal's still warm body and recites these words, Thank you for your life which sustains us. It's not much, but a reminder to pause in an otherwise busy and exciting moment to show our respect and gratitude. It's also a reminder that the meat that nourishes our bodies throughout the year came at the expense of an individual animal's life. So here is my ask for you. Take a child or a loved one into the woods. Teach them love and respect for all things. Teach them the skills necessary to hunt with humility and to be deadly so that animals do not suffer at their hands. Most importantly, teach them to be grateful for wild places and wild creatures.